0: back to things are going great for me a podcast about the arts and the entertainment business my name is j claude deering i'm an actor and a comedian if you're returning to the show i'm absolutely thrilled hey drop me a line at things at gmail.com let me know how you're doing and if you're new here welcome pull up a chair and get comfortable because we want you all to enjoy yourselves you can follow me, your host, at Jay Claude Deering on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow our show handle on Instagram at Things Are Going Great for Me. There you'll find our link tree that has links for our Patreon and some cool Things Are Going Great for Me swag. Hey, the holidays are upon us. Why not treat yourself and a family member to some dignified swag? We've got hoodies, t-shirts, and tote bags. So check them out and listen in comfort and style. You can find all our products in our link tree on our show Instagram page at Things Are Going Great for Me. On our link tree, you'll also find our Patreon, which features additional interview coverage from our Season One, Season Two, and Season Three guests, including our bonus QuarPod series, in which I ask guests about how they adjusted to life in quarantine and how the pandemic is continuing to change life in the entertainment industry. Our Patreon is a vital part of making this show happen, so if you'd like to support us, give us a subscribe on there. You can check us out on Patreon directly at Patreon.com/slash. Things are going great for me. And by the way, we're delighted to welcome back our sponsor for this series, Icelandic Glacial, the purest tasting water on Earth, sourced from the legendary Úlfus Spring in Iceland, naturally filtered through ancient lava rock and certified carbon neutral for both product and operation. You are what you drink. Be exceptional. Icelandic Glacial natural spring water sourced from Iceland. Available on Amazon and at local retailers near you. If you like any of what you hear today, please do us a big kindness. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a nice comment. Tell your aunt about us. Give us those five stars wherever you're getting your podcast from today. On each episode of this series, you'll hear from huge movie stars, big TV stars, famous podcast hosts, and even some bright, shining Broadway stars, as well as second guest interviews with exciting up-and-coming actors and comedians, and established producers, authors, writers, and directors. Today's first guest is Leonard Robinson. Leonard is best known for his role as Torian Jackson on HBO's Emmy, Peabody, and NAACP Image Award-winning series, Insecure. He's also known for his four seasons as a performer on the hugely popular comedy series, *While and Out. After graduating from Howard University, Leonard appeared in films and television projects such as Life of Crime with Jennifer Aniston and John Hawks, the ESPN miniseries The Bronx is Burning, NCIS and NCIS LA, Adam Ruins Everything, and Young Sheldon, and he currently co-stars in the very funny Netflix series Blockbuster. His theater resume includes work at the Culture Project off-Broadway, the Williamstown Theater Festival, the New York Fringe Festival, and the Studio Theater in Washington, D.C. As a stand-up comedian, Leonard can be seen weekly at the world-famous comedy store on Sunset Boulevard, and you can find him currently in the main company at the world-renowned comedy institution The Groundlings. Leonard is a longtime friend, and this is a great chat with lots of nutritional takeaways. My producer Winston also wants me to include. He's a big fan of Leonard's from his work on Insecure. I'll be speaking with Leonard in a few minutes. And a little bit later, you'll also get my interview with Ji Young Han. Ji is an actress originally from Walnut, California. After programs at AMDA and The New School in New York City, she started working in TV and film on shows like 30 Rock, the Good Wife, Shameless, Grey's Anatomy, 911, in addition to recurring roles on The Santa Clarita Diet, Comedy Bang Bang, Station 19, Superstore, and Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Next up, she can be seen in a big recurring role on the upcoming second season of HBO's Perry Mason, in addition to another recurring role on the upcoming Hulu comedy series, Unprisoned, alongside Kerry Washington and Delroy Lindo. It's a delightful chat. Stick around for G's interview. I promise you, you're not going to want to miss it. Before we move on to our interviews, I'm thrilled to welcome back my producer and my co-host, hey. Winston Carter. How's it going? Uh, so you've been on tour with yeah. your monster band, Drack and yeah. the Swamp Rats. How'd it go?
1: It was good, man. We played a couple shows in Oklahoma and a show we played in Austin on Halloween night. I nice. went to a quick trip. I did not see any cutouts of you. I was very <laughs> upset. Um, so South by Southwest happens in Austin. Have you ever been? I would love to go. I've never been. Uh, It's like, I mean, it's really, like, Austin is always a town where there's, like, a live band basically playing at every bar all the time. But it's doubly true then. Where, like, for, like, a week, every bar downtown has a live band from essentially noon till midnight. And it's just constant. So they, I didn't know that they had smaller versions of that. So they have, like, specific music types of festivals all throughout the year that'll be, like, a couple different venues all doing like a fest, like because it's not like a big. St- I mean, there are big, some places that have bigger stages for South by, but mostly it's like it's like a million different bars all having shows all at the same time. Mm. Um, so they had just finished with one, so like the crowd turnout was a little rough for us, uh, unfortunately. But the people who came were real into it. Uh, it was still a good turnout. Nice. It just wasn't like you know, it wasn't like dangerously chocked full. Um, but it was fun. Have you
0: watched any holiday movies yet?
1: Not yet. I'm fully embracing it. I've had this conversation with multiple people who are so upset about oh holiday, and they're like, "Wait till Thanksgiving." And I was like, "No, dude, the se- November 1st.
0: November first. I'm on the same. Let's get moving I'm on the same train. Give
1: yeah. me two full months. Mu- Why would you yeah. want less of it? Listen, it's I'll the watch only the time good... Everyone's happy.
0: I'm not skipping Thanksgiving movies. I'm not skipping yeah, planes. There's like trains three and automobiles. Of them, though. There, there's there's three good trains ones. And
1: automobiles. What? Hutch. Ho- ho- home Touch, for the holidays. Dutch. Which is the one the with holidays? Robert Downey Jr.? Is it is that home for the holidays? I don't know. Is Fletch is Fletcher Is Fletch a Thanksgiving? Or is it Dutch? I'm thinking of Dutch, I think. There's a movie where I think Ed O'Neill oh, has Dutch, to like take right. a kid home for I think that's I a Thanksgiving that movie.
0: movie. Is it? I gotta rewatch that. Have
1: Thanksgiving's you seen the, is a perfectly fine. Have
0: holiday. you seen the new Fletch movie?
1: With is it John Hamm? I have I have not Hamm? I, I have not. I'm going to see it, though. We should That's see it. Okay, point. we'll promise to see it. We we'll promise pro- John we Hamm. Promise. We promise well, Before you everyone, he comes on the show, we will have seen it. Before John Hamm comes on, we'll see <laughs> yeah. it.
0: All right, <laughs> folks. <laughs> Without further ado, here now is the kind and thoughtful, hardworking, funny and talented Leonard Robinson. I had just—it uh, was funny because I had just finished interviewing uh, Mike Terry when you and I uh, jumped on the phone. We caught up mm-hmm. briefly before our interview today. And Mike Terry is now the executive producer of the Smartless Podcast with Sean Hayes and Jason Bateman and Will Arnett. Uh, and you, me, and Mike—we were all apprentices together at the Williamstown Theater Festival back in two thousand and two, mm-hmm. along with uh, Chris Pine, who's also been a guest on this podcast. Um, Jeremy Strong from Succession was also there, and
2: he was in Act One at that time. Yeah, I did a play. I was actually able to do a play with the Act One while I was in uh, the Apprentice Corps. They needed some um, additional casting, and I was lucky enough to join that cast. I did that.
0: I uh, briefly, rem- I vaguely remember that. Was that something Amanda Charlton directed? Maybe it
2: was. It was called Our Country's Good. It was like an Australian set in like an Australian prison camp or something like that. So. So, you know, when you're at a theater festival and there's only two other black guys to go to, uh, that's when that casting gets real... <laughs> comes your way. ...advantageous.
0: Yeah. It was very much a white space that summer. I was going back and taking a look at the program and uh, the other day, and uh, it was it's it's pretty stunning.
2: Yeah, I mean, and I think that's just kind <clears> of... <throat> I mean, <clears throat> over the last couple of years, I've noticed um, Williamstown... Particularly, as you know, made a lot of efforts in you know not only promoting uh, people of color, but also making big efforts to actually you know schedule the programming so it's not so much that um, yeah you know. But I grew up in, for the most part, in 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 Danbury, Connecticut, and moved around. So I've, you know, I've always kind of operated kind of in those spaces. It's it doesn't make it any easier, but right, it's right. It, you know they, it becomes something you just kind of. You, you know you deal with and you just kind of expect and then try how you navigate it is is a very individual kind of thing but yeah uh but yeah i was you know out there williamstown i didn't know much about it i met a friend um i met a friend doing a play in new york and uh and he, he was like i went to williamstown theater festival i think you should go and i was like i don't even know what this is and but he was like, I think it'd be great for you to be an apprentice, you know, and, and I just took his word for it. Um, and that's how I ended up there. And yeah, there was there was so many people that came out of there and, you know, names still keep coming up, which is fun. Of people, yeah. You're just like, oh, you did Williams. OK, cool. Like, you know, Liz Merriweather, you know, creative new girl was an apprentice that year. And that's um, right. Yeah. Constantine Morolis, who was uh, you know, an American, American Idol. Idol yeah, and yeah. Uh, yep, big Broadway musical star, Rock of Ages there that summer um, that's you know, obviously right. myself will greenberg uh, was also having a, a great moment right now and and finding yep. a lot of work um, and of course yeah chris pine was the biggest biggest star probably to come out of there to date chris pine definitely one of the is going to end up being
0: one of the biggest movie stars of all time you know um, mm-hmm. and it is and it, it's exciting to know one person who got, got that far, you know, is that something you want to do? Do you want to get to that level? Is that part of your plan? And what do you think in terms of scope?
2: I was thinking about this last night um, about, you know, what to say relevant about Williamstown, but just to, with a relation to like Chris Pine, I think one thing that I learned from that guy or picked up from him is like he, that's somebody who early on knew what he wanted to do and set out a path to do that. Because I remember when I moved to LA and uh, and I was talking to him, mm-hmm. this might have been shortly after he did uh, Princess Diaries two or something like that. He was just kind of like arrived on something, but I remember he said something like, "I want to focus on films. I just want to be you know just focus mm. on doing movies." And I was like, "Well, how the hell do you do that? You know, like, <laughs> how do you how do you just decide you're only going to do films? Yeah, you know, because at the time and it's and it's probably how i've carried my career up, up to this point i've just been kind of doing as much work as i can do to figure out what i want to do uh to figure out what i'm good at to figure out where i actually belong or where my slot is and so i've kind of always just been open to whatever mm, yeah still still with still with an eye and 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 holding myself to a standard of quality and and um and, you know, try to aspire to do better things and, and get in with better people and do better work and, you know, lift heavier weight, so to speak, to try and get stronger. Yeah. Um but I never was ever so discerning as to say, I I wanna do films. I wanna I, I, I think probably if somebody said, Look, you got one choice right now, I probably would lock into television. I love television. Um Yeah. I I've always loved television, you know, um uh, as a kid, you know, I, I loved watching TV. I mean, I, can, I I remember clearly one day my mom was like, "Do you want to just go out and you want to go out and you know meet up with some friends, go out and do something?" I was like, "Nope, I'm good. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> just watching TV all day." But I wouldn't just watch what other kids would watch necessarily. I would watch almost really kind of everything. Yeah. Um I was just fascinated by it, and my you know my earliest memory is wanting to be an actor and wanting to be on television. I saw this this kid, I think his name is John John, on Sesame Street, little black kid on 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 Sesame Street, was talking to a Muppet. I was like, I want to do that. Hmm. And yeah. you know, my mom was like, you want to meet a Muppet? I was like, no, I want to be on that show. Like somehow I just knew that they weren't just playing with Muppets. I kind of, somehow I kind of got the concept that uh, know, this is people- th- like this is show business. Yeah, I kind of got a concept of what show yeah. business was and and um, and wanted to do that. And and also another big influence that I just now realizing was my aunt. Um, uh, when I was growing up, I was in film school. It was in Columbia Film School and it uh, hmm. you was know, a director. She does mostly like documentary kind of stuff right now. But, um, you know, I remember as a kid, we watched um, a Coen Brothers movie, um, Blood Simple.
0: You got and, how old were you when she showed you Blood Simple? How old were you?
2: Oh man, I was probably like eight or ten or something like that. I don't know. Jesus it, was, it was it was too young to be watching that movie.
0: <laughs> but
2: but I watched that and then she introduced me to the Cohen Brothers and then I can remember yeah. you know you know cut to whenever Barton Fink came on and Barton Fink was on TV and I watched Barton Fink. Yeah. And I didn't get it, but no. I knew that I was I knew that I was like watching something that was. Um, not average that was you know that had some artistic integrity to it that was kind of like away from the mainstream and I was interested in that and I was interested in just like doing good work and like doing quality stuff Um, so yeah so that's kind of how I you know have moved through life it's just always watching a bunch of stuff and been like yeah I want to do this I want to do that and there's just there's just something about television about connecting with the audience on a weekly basis about, Hmm. you know, knowing that because that's how people watch television, they lock into their thing, they lock into their event and, and, and they're there for you every week. You know, movies uh, are great and they're big event kind of things. I don't think I get enough adrenaline on the return of that, you know, like, work 30 days maybe wait two years for it to come out and then let's see what happens you know what i mean Uh, sure yeah um i kind of like knowing quick quickly it's gonna, well it's not the it's 70s
0: you're not it's not an experience in the way that like you're doing a dennis hopper movie it's just briefcases of cocaine everywhere and mushrooms <laughs> you know lsd and you're what that yeah. was fucking crazy and yeah. then the movie still comes out or sometimes it didn't i guess i think dennis, there are a few dennis hopper movies that never came out but they spent millions of dollars doing yeah. drugs but that's talk about adrenaline Mm-hmm. But those days are, 70s are very much over, I guess, right?
2: It's corporate yeah. now. It's it very be,
0: corporate.
2: Be, and maybe it's because uh, I came up doing live theater, like the closest thing I think to live yeah. theater is probably the next transition is probably like television. You know, you could do it in front of a live studio audience. You've got that option. Yeah,
0: that's But right. even if it's
2: not that option, even on like on a weekly series, like there's something about that that's kind of similar. Like, you know, I, I shot it last week. It came out. We know these things are rolling. And then, you know, um you can get that feedback there's something about that feedback from the audience that I that I crave and and seek after yeah uh, which is why I still do you know stuff live to this day you know
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, getting that feedback is a a wonderful feeling in theater and comedy as well. Um, Well, great. I'm going to go back to Williamstown then for a second just Mm -hmm. to finish this and just say there were, as we talked about already, a lot of people have gone on to do some cool things. You are no exception. You're doing a lot of cool things, emphasis on a lot. And I want to start by talking about the Comedy Store. Mm-hmm. Where you are a paid regular with your name on the famous comedy store wall—that mm-hmm. right there alone is a huge accomplishment. And uh, I want to ask you: Did you did you start by doing the potluck over there? Were you lining up in the afternoons and and putting your name in the hat to get on?
2: Well, um, if, let me rewind the clock just a little bit and tie it back into Williamstown. When I was at Williamstown, you know, when I first started, I, I was I kind of modeled my career off of. Um, well first of all I didn't know anybody when I started. I didn't know anything. I didn't I didn't go to undergrad for drama uh for theater. I was a business major and I wanted right. to act and I took some classes in the School of Fine Arts at Howard, you know, the ones that they would let me take being a non-major. I took some studio I did a lot of studio classes at Studio Theater in DC. And... I took a
0: look at the Studio Theater in DC. It's a it's an interesting uh very serious organization I, mm-hmm. you know and so you had seen that you had seen this uh theater company on posters when
2: you were at school yes that's exactly right I I would so I was a business major you know I was very active at Howard like I was a frat guy I was in you know I was on the wrestling team for a little bit but I was in a bunch of different organizations but I was having the, the best time of my life at Howard just kind of yeah, going through school, partying, meeting people, taking a bunch of classes. You know, I, I tried to stay five years, but funding ran out, so I was like, "All right, I got to graduate." <laughs> you know, I took a job, and I, and there was a, even when I graduated, like I, I had my eyes, like I want to be an actor, and I, I had a plan. I was like, "I'll work for four years and I'll save money, and then I'll, whatever happens, if I can't get some acting work in D.C. at the end of four years, if I save my money, I'm just going to quit my job and move to New York and start for real." Um, I only made it like two and a half years. I just could not take uh, working, um, uh, in, 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 the corporate setting. And I was like, I, I, I need to bet on myself and really try to make it work. And then I ran off to New York and that's how I got started. But while I was at Howard, again, I would take a few classes and I would, you know, I met up with some fine arts people who would talk to me from time to time, you know, tell me what's going on. But I would go into there, I would go into the school of fine arts and look at the posters, look at the boards. And you know, people would, uh, you know, there's always an advertisement for like, some summer program or or summer stock or, you know, whatever local auditions, and I would try to go to those things. I would, like, crash those things. Again, mm. me me not knowing anything about the process, I was like, I just have to try, you know, and I would try to, um, you know, audition for things locally.
0: So you were – so can I ask then, with so in terms of your folks, you were sort of – you were doing a little bait and switch with Mom and Dad. Is that right? You're basically going, like, I'm going to go to – I'm going to Howard. I'm going to get my business degree. Mm-hmm. And then when they, when they, you're out of sight, they, you're doing, you're doing something different. You're trying to sort of, you're taking as many acting classes you can. Are you telling them at all that you're doing this? Or when, when do you drop it on them that you're like, I'm changing what I'm going to do. I, I, uh, I, I, I want to be an actor. I'm going to bet on myself.
2: That's funny. Nobody's ever said that like that. Um, But yeah, in short, I was actually trying to fully transfer into the School of Fine Arts. um, But I didn't take it that far uh, because there's still part of me didn't didn't believe I could do it. Um, So, yeah, they didn't know that I was they didn't know that I was really serious about doing it until I quit my job and and told them I'm moving to New York.
0: Now, meanwhile, you are excelling at everything. You're Uh, you're a a brilliant student. You're a brilliant athlete
2: Right. Um, you know, I was, uh, well, let's say this, uh, when I got to college, I realized the biggest obstacle I have academically was, um, just, just me focusing and deciding I want to do it because if there was a party or a social event, I was like, I need to do that. Um, but if I buckled down, yeah, I was, I was, you know, I was great.
0: Yeah. But yes, okay.
2: I have an aptitude, you know, to, to your point, like I had an aptitude for a lot of different things. You know, I was a yeah. I was a, pr- a programmer in a in a like a tech support guy, you know, uh, in, in short. So anyways, uh, I end up going to New York, <clears throat> taking classes, trying to audition for things. I meet some people. They send me to Williamstown while I was at Williamstown. Louis Black, comedian Louis Black from The Daily that's Show. Right. Yeah, that's national right. National headliner for years, was doing a stand-up comedy workshop. And I saw the first round of people go up. And his workshop, at the it ended with them doing um, a show mm-hmm. in front of hundreds of people. Whoever was at the theater that summer in Williamstown, they all came. Because you're in... The Berkshires, there's nothing to do but that festival. So every event basically is sold out because the alternative is you're doing nothing.
0: <laughs> right. That's right. right. Yeah. So
2: student shows, if somebody put together a three-person oh, thing. There in were the, some in... great
0: Hey, do you remember, by the way, do you remember this student show that was in the laundry room? Do you remember this thing?
2: Um. Tell me about it, but I probably, I'm sure I was there. This is incredible. Uh, We sat out on the
0: common area in the grass and they had, you know, uh, at at the we were surrounded by the dorms of Williams College and at the bottom level, yes, there was a laundry room and there was one that you could see right into the windows into this laundry room. And some brilliant students had an idea to do a play in this laundry room. It was filmic, very filmic, right? No dialogue or anything. It was just everything was what was happening in this room. And they, they told a whole story, and part of it was that they basically exploded one of these laundry machines. Do you remember this? They poured in, at some point, it was very much like a, a, like a, a silent film comedy, like a Buster mm-hmm. Keaton kind of a thing. And at one point, somebody's just pouring and pouring and pouring detergent into one of the machines. And sure enough,
2: then it just started to bubble over uh, out of control. Do you remember seeing that? I remember seeing that there was another little thing like outside the, in the common area. There was a there was a guy Alec. I think his name Alex Poe did yeah, uh, Lord sure. of the Flies like outside. Oh yeah, which he's was, out here.
0: You know, he's a, he's over he? in Santa Monica, Alex. Yeah,
2: I thought he was the most brilliant director that that summer. Like directed a play like outside on a on a high stairwell and kind of staged Lord of the Flies like that. It was just amazing. Right. Um, Right. There were so many different crazy things that were happening that that summer that that were I just I, I just wanted to be part of all of it, and so the so the group that did stand up the first time I saw it I was blown away because I don't remember who was in the group but I just remember like I was like wait a minute I've talked to like most of these people so like the the apprentice Corps had maybe like a hundred people or something in it maybe yeah maybe eighty or something right but so not everybody knows everybody but you you kind of know everybody. Um, but I was like the people that did, I was like, I've talked to these people. Like if there were 12 in, I was like, 10 of them I know are not funny because I've talked to them. I was like, but yeah, okay, everyone yeah. who did that showcase was funny. I was like, how did he do that? Oh, I was like, yeah. how did he get these right. people to do up and be funny? I was like, I laughed at every one of them. <laughs> and that's when I was like, I got to figure this out. I got to try this. And that's then I tried funny. it. Yeah. and 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 the way lewis did the workshop was also amazing because it was kind of like an open mic and he would just he would just i mean almost like no notes he would just be like not funny I don't, that ain't never gonna be funny i don't know why you think that'd be funny go back yeah. rewrite it try this try that and then he gave us some stand-ups to watch and, and told us why you know kind of just told us why they're funny or what their point of view is all about and he gave me he gave me my foundation to to do stand-up and so yeah. So that was great, and I loved it. And then that summer ended, and I came back to New York, and I didn't do stand-up that year. I didn't do it ever again uh, that year. Um, I was focused on taking classes, making money, so that I could come back to Williamstown, because I wanted mm. to go try to do Act One. I, I, bet, I bet it all on that
0: well see now that was a thing for everybody when we were there as apprentices you were it was understood it was an understood thing they would say nobody gets back in it's very hard to get back in here and so and i remember you know it i did go back it took me three auditions three years to, get to go back, back to
2: in. act one or non-act non-act to go back I mean.
0: to what they eventually they sort of got rid of what it was called it's all the non-act but essentially yes and then mm. the next year I did get into the, the non-act, but I didn't go because I had booked something in L.A., a pilot, a Sh- uh, Shonda Rhimes pilot, that so, then uh, didn't go.
2: So that's amazing, I mean, the, the, the way these things turn out. So, like, that, that summer, the person, you know, Chris Pine did go back that next summer, I yes, believe. Yes, he did, yeah. Um, I did not, um, and somebody else did, but I was like, I literally bet it all on that summer. I had spent the whole year at this acting conservatory, um, it was called the Actors Center that was yeah. kinda that was kind of run by a lot of like NYU and Yale and professors. Yale that people. was yeah. That was like their side, like their moonlight gig. So that's interesting because you know, the other thing about that is
0: that place was known because it's like if you were interested in going to grad school, go to the actors center because it's it's a lot of the grad school teachers from both NYU and Yale. Is that mm-hmm. where you were thinking at the time? Or you were thinking, go back to Williamstown, get your grad school sort of
2: like pre-med for grad school
0: in acting and then apply to Yale?
2: I was working all angles at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, When I first moved to New York, the first thing I did was audition for NYU and Yale. Again, having no experience, I was like, I hear they're great. Let me see if they'll let me in. (laughs) I mean, so it speaks a little bit to my ignorance and my fearlessness in that. I was like thinking that my first shot, I could get into Yale the, the, the Yale School of Drama MFA program,
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: but but it takes so, the, so
0: much courage just to do it. It takes so much courage to 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 just show up and put yourself in a vulnerable position of some, them saying no. It takes an additional amount of courage to try again, you know. Um, so it spe- it does it speaks volumes. I didn't know that you did that.
2: I I just for both of those places at least at least twice and I'm maybe three. I don't know. Yeah, but the so, yeah, I was at the Actors Center in there. They have like a full time conservatory and then they have like a they had they had a full time conservatory, which was all day. And then they had like a a part time, which was in the evenings. So at the time I could only for the evening. Um, So I did that. I worked all day, temped all day and then just went there at night. Yeah. Again, I'm betting it all on going to Williamstown. Then somebody told me about another theater festival. And and I, so maybe I auditioned for two other things, like just in case, but I knew it wasn't there wasn't no just in case. I was like, every I'm going back to Williamstown. Right. Did, did not go. Now my summer's blown. I was like, what am I going to do? I fell back into stand up. I was like, I got to keep performing some kind of way, but I'm not acting. I was like, I got to find some way to perform because I basically have written off this whole year just trying to save money and go to school. Yeah. And then I fell back into stand up and I and I actually linked up with some other guys who um, who were from uh, Williamstown who were unbeknownst to me had been doing stand up for a little bit. And I wrote a bunch of material and, um, you know, we would link up and like go to like these these late night spots and just wrote a bunch of material and, uh, and and in New York, you can do five spots in a night if you're if you're hungry. Right. That's kind of how I started. So I went from doing nothing to all of a sudden five spots a night for like six months straight, and then um, shortly after that I moved to LA. But how I got into the comedy store was like, yeah, I, I did sign up and, and would always, you know, just be there. Hanging. They have like potluck where it's just like people who are. It's kind of like their open mic, and then there's and then you can get if you ha- if you do a spot and you do well enough, you can get folded into what they call like friends and family, which it's just kind of like a slightly step above signing up for the open mic where they'll actually book you and then keep Hmm. an eye on you for a while. But that took, I mean, that took like three years, maybe. Wow. Um, Just showing up every night and waiting and waiting and waiting and doing, I don't know how many shows in front of four people at night in the OR, like after everybody is gone and, you know, always being like second to last one, like just sticking it out and trying to, you know, make an impression on people. And in, and in between, you know, I've been passed at other places. I've done, stand, you know, I've featured yeah. for, you know, people and on whatever. So it, it's a hard thing. Um, and even still, even to this day, it's still, I've been a regular there now oh, about 10 years, I think. But even now, it's like, you know, it never ends. It never ends. There's always, you always have to rise uh, above the fray, whoever's out there. And you always always have to keep working on stuff. You can't ever get to a place where I think you rest on your laurels and think this is good enough. I think eternally you want to be able to look at yourself and feel like I'm enough, I'm good enough, but I'm always going to seek improvement and not look at yourself as like a deficit, but just the way that stand-up world is. Like, you know, you you just kind of got to always got to keep making up material, always got to kind of keep working on stuff. And that's overall just how I've kind of shaped my vision and my career with things is just always keep working on something. Don't mm-hmm. be waiting for something to happen. Just always be working on something because, um, I don't know, my, my short my short philosophy is like either you're good enough for whatever job, whatever project is, but for some reason you're just not right for it or they don't want you for it for whatever reason. So then you got to wait for the job to come around that is yours. And then mm-hmm. the intern, you might as well just be working on yourself and getting better. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or, or you're not good enough. Which leads you to only one decision, either or two decisions, which is either you are right, you just quit and don't do this anymore, or you try to get better so that you are good enough.
0: <laughs>
2: so either yeah. way, for yeah. me, either way, there's no so there's no there's no there's no outcome where it doesn't end it result in me waking up every day figuring out how I'm gonna get better. Yeah. So
0: then is that so then does that mean I mean what let's say you wanted to do a set of the comedy store tonight? Yeah. Could you do that? No. No shit. So even though no. you're at the, you're on the wall now, you're a paid regular, you sit, mm-hmm. and so you can't just call the club.
2: No, we do. We call in on the week and then the booker, you know, lines up the week. But yeah. I think I think at best if I called and and said, "Hey, I got something pending, a showcase or I need to submit a tape for like late night. Can you mm-hmm. squeeze me in, find a way to squeeze me in for 5 minutes just so I could run this?" I could probably get that kind of set but yeah comedy you know regular or sets are original room and the main room sets are 15 minutes they wouldn't just call me in oh, they wouldn't just squeeze me in right now i i, I don't have a uh, a big enough or strong enough name as a stand-up to command that kind of you know uh, last minute adjustment to the schedule
0: are you a, when it comes to releasing an ep of your stand-up is that something that's in the works have you put something out yet or what what is what's your thought on that
2: currently currently um no um currently that's that's like the second or third priority right now what i'm doing right now when i first started early on that was a big goal of mine and i was working towards that and i and you know even you know had gone so far as to like record a bunch of stuff but did not put it out um that, that's also something I'm working on just within myself is just not being so precious with the material, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and just letting it go out to the, you know, to the universe and move on. I, I, I become a bit of a perfectionist and, and really protective of my material um, to some degree, almost too protective of it so that I don't want it, you know, but art, you know, art needs to be experienced. Art needs to be seen. That's um, right. I've kind of adapted, uh, adopted a, a philosophy like well yeah it is to be seen and you're going to see it live and that's the only you know place you're going to see it but truth of the matter is you know with 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 the way stand-up is now like you know you have to record it and has to be out there into the universe some kind of way so uh within the next year or two yeah probably
0: great that's exciting so i remember so now i i i guess you'd been out in la for a couple Mm -hmm. of years before i arrived here Mm-hmm. and you had booked you'd booked the very popular mtv sketch and improv series while and out along oh, yeah. with uh folks like randall park was on the show mm-hmm. mikey day cat mm-hmm. williams Taram mm-hmm. Killam. Mm-hmm. a lot of people have done that show since including i guess kevin hart natasha rothwell mm-hmm. pete davidson how long is this yep. how long has while and out been going for is it still going now
2: it's still going and it's bigger than ever um I mean, they're selling out arenas right now, live. um, Selling out arenas all over the place. Uh, I was part of the first four seasons. Yeah. And then there was a pause for a couple years, and then there was a reboot, and that reboot has been going on consistently since.
0: I didn't know that. Uh, Okay. Can you talk a little bit about that job? Because that just seems like the absolute scariest television job. You're improvising jokes and... Rap battles for yeah. a live audience plus a television audience. Yeah. Did you did you ever throw up before one of those shows? Like I would <laughs> I would never have come out of the bathroom. They would have had to yeah. get the the jaws of life to pull me out of there.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, luckily for me it was still early enough in my development as a human, you know, as a performer and, and in my career that I was still a little bit ignorant of a lot of stuff of the repercussions of things or how things look. So I was a little bit more fearless, I I would say. Um, However, uh, funny anecdotally, um, when I first started auditioning in New York, um, no matter what I did, (laughs) no matter what I did, every audition, I would have like explosive diarrhea.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right, right, yeah.
2: It 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 happens.
0: It happens a lot to folks, yeah.
2: When I say... Every time, I mean, every time. It got to a point where I said, okay, you're gonna have an audition tomorrow. Do not eat. Don't eat. I thought I beat it. And then right before, right before.
0: Oh God. The person
2: person before me would be like, go in and I'm like, okay, and then you're next. I'd be like, okay, ready. just got a hot ass. Running a monologue and I'm like, oh, damn it. Here it comes again. (laughs) So by the time I got to LA, most of that was out of me. (laughs) <laughs> um,
0: okay.
2: but the thing about that show the thing about wild and out is um you know i've been taking improv classes you know at ucb and iowa west and right, right. um this is this is before maybe i just started taking a couple classes at the ground um so i actually felt pretty good about my improv and all that other stuff um yeah. just figure out just figuring out a place A place in that show was a little difficult because it's kind of like, it was kind of like SNL in a sense where, you know, they had a core uh, you know cast, but not everybody performed every week. Um, somehow, somehow, I made it through the first four seasons and did every episode, which is which is me and Mikey Day, I think, are the uh, are the rare two that actually have that credit for whatever reason. Um, but it was just about finding your own place in that and, and standing out and trying to be unique, um, is where I really figured that out a lot. Like, you know, you can't be somebody else. You can't, Mm. you gotta be you, whatever that is. And, 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 and I find that the people who have, you know, if you think about all the personalities and, and talent out there who have really excelled like relatively fast, It's because they they know who they are really quick and early, and that's it. That's it. They're not trying to make you know become something else, and they're not trying to run away from it. They're just leaning hard into themselves, um, and doubling down and tripling down, and you know, and they're Mm -hmm. just standing on that. Um, So that's hard to do. You know,
0: when you're doing improv, particularly with folks, I mean, sometimes improv is not a thing that I would say I'm very good at. I've tried. I I get a kind of intellectual vertigo. Mm -hmm. from doing it with people because you know there's like it's some sort of just what you said which is like if you lean into you you've got your own rhythm you've got things that are funny to you and for me when you do that on your feet with a bunch of people and you're trying to get on the same it's the getting on the same page thing that's for me is hard to do Mm -hmm. but um, but I do like what you're saying though it sounds great you know, and maybe it just is about a bunch of very talented people who are leaning into what it is that they do.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, the earlier days of Wild and Out I felt were really competitive. I don't know what it's like now, um, but I do feel like it, there was a little bit of competitiveness amongst the cast members, which I don't think was great for definitely not great for my anxiety and uh, how, you does, know, how does, and by peace the way. Of mind.
0: How does how does Cat Williams figure into this at the time? Because I mean, talk about a huge personality. I mean, um I didn't I had not remembered that until I was sort of reading up on the show that he was he was on there. Um was he was he cool to hang out with at the he's, time?
2: He's fantastic. He's I mean, a one I, I mean, he's
0: a huge talent.
2: Huge talent. For me for me, there were some people on that show who, who you know, that uh were you know, really great Influences on me, um, and Cat Williams is one of them. You know, D. Ray Davis another one. Corey yes, Holcomb another one. Right. You know, Randall Park and I. You know, became you know best the best of friends out of that show, and we're still best of friends to this day. Yeah. You know, you know, we work out like three times a week together. And yeah, uh,
0: yeah, you retain that. Yeah. Um,
2: you know, um, and we've been. You know, Marcus Marcus Ray another guy who came on uh, later season. You know, great friend. You know, um, and Cat, and you know, again, was the, was was a star before he got on the show. Yeah, and, it must have been. And just the timing of, of how his projects rolled out, um, when they were rolling out, they kind of started rolling out in the middle of the show. So it kind of looks like Wild and Out like, blew him up a little bit, but in actuality, like some of the projects he had going on were pending at the time. And it was just kind of the perfect storm. But yeah. cat was cat was great he you know he he taught me a lot and was a great friend at the time uh you know i ended up doing like a, a college tour a college stand up tour and um i organized and 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 uh and took some people out you know people like d ray davis and Corey Holcomb were you know were were kind enough to to join me on that and taught me a lot about stand up and mm. you know especially doing on the road you know I went out on the road you know took randall with me too and um Yeah, it was a good, it was a great time. I I think, you know, just the nature of shooting that show live every day. And look, there were some days where we didn't know what we were going to do that day um, because they didn't, they didn't have the guest booked, like a, a guest maybe, maybe canceled or maybe they couldn't secure a talent for that day. And we'd just be on hold for a little bit. And then all of a sudden somebody would pull up, you know, Nick would just like go through his Rolodex and like, Serena Williams was one of the people who was like who was like a last minute guest who showed up and we were just like, Okay, it's Serena Williams. All right. Oh so what are we gonna do? Yeah. Like we're we gonna do this game, do this game, do that game. Okay, great. And um and it was amazing. Um Wayne Brady, Wayne Bra- I think Brain Brady, I think, was de- probably definitely booked. Wayne Brady was probably the most amazing guest uh Oh, I'm sure we had. Yeah. I mean that was that probably could have been a two hour special with, with Wayne Brady, but it was only <laughs> yeah. a half hour show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just so many people were great and and you know and and again cat you know again as a, as a powerful to stand up as he is you know he was he was really a a great improviser which mm-hmm. is which is also funny to find um in in certain stand-ups and things like that because a lot of stand-ups don't you know they're not academic about about it they're not, they're not taking classes at anywhere but you know intuitively you know they I think a lot of the greats get it and understand um what it is you need to do to be a great improviser but also leaning into his strengths and knowing what he wants to do um yeah i was really kind of blown away on most days uh when cat was performing and when he was there
0: uh so then you know you talked about this like you were taking some classes over at ucb uh but then i remember this is years later You wrote this, uh, you wrote a beautiful post about, you said you had humbled yourself and Mm -hmm. you were starting over at a new comedy school after Mm -hmm. having already established yourself as a TV comedian and a comedy store regular. And you wrote about, you had made it. You were in the main Mm -hmm. company uh, over at the Groundlings. Mm -hmm. Another major accomplishment in Hollywood, a major accomplishment in comedy. Um, and I just want to ask you: Do you mind saying how old were you when you went back to the Groundlings? And as you said, you were sort of starting from the you know the first class again there.
2: Um, uh, I can't remember exactly when I came back. That's the weird thing. Um, but it had been so I started off doing UCB in uh, in New York. I took some classes, and when I came to L.A. Um before U C B came out, um I was at Iowa West and then and then UCB opened up um mm-hmm. an LA spot and I was able to join a um, to get in over there and, and it was on a Herald team for about a year and a half on that one, uh at U C B f- uh for a little bit. Casey Wilson was also one of the uh and, and June Raphael were also uh on that Herald team. Yeah. And then, and then I got kicked off that Harold team, uh, and they were like, "Well, we'll bring you back, and uh, we'll, you know, on another team." And then I never heard back. Whoever the artistic director was at UCB, you know, uh, pulled me from that team, and like, we'll put you on something else. And I never heard back. And also, I didn't follow up. Maybe I didn't know how to follow up at the time, but I, I was pretty upset about that. Yeah. And I quit. I just quit improv. Period. Um, I was like, I'm just going to focus on on stand up and whatever acting auditions I can get. So then there was about a seven year gap, I think. So maybe I was like thirty seven, I think, maybe when I came back into the ground. When I first started at the Groundlings, I was just trying to take improv classes. Again, I had no aspirations of being a Groundling. I didn't even know what that meant. Um, I just know I'd met some people who were Groundlings who were really funny. And I knew that the classes I was taking there were really good. And I always felt like it was a rabbit's foot for me. Mm -hmm. I was like, every time I take a class, I seem to book a job some kind of way.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
2: Which is also why it took me so long to get through the program because some people go, you know, class back to back to back to back and try to go through the levels as fast as they can. Whereas I was like, you know, I took basic improv. Oh, I book some job, you know, three months later or six months later, I'll come back and take another class. You know, just as a time and availability, you know, avail. But yeah, I was done with improv and sketch because I, you know, again, I'd done Wild and Out. We had a spin off sketch show that didn't do anything uh, called Short Circuits. And, I, I, you know, after all these years of doing, you know, improv at UCB, and I was also on in an independent team outside of uh, all those called Knife Fight. And we perform at like some bar above, no, some in- theater space above a bar off of, uh, off of like Hollywood and La Brea. You know, I was just doing all kinds of things. All these little, all these little hole in the wall spots where people are doing stand up or improv. Like I've done it. I've been there, mm. and yeah. I'd I'd spent so many years doing. I was like, all right, I'm gonna take. I'm done with it. I, I retired.
0: <laughs>
2: what happened with me at the Groundlings is I came to go see a show. Um, a friend of mine was at the Advanced Writing Lab level, which is the last class before you get invited to join Sunday Company, which is the last level. Um, where basically you just write and perform every week, and then from there they you know vote you into main company or not. So I saw a friend, um, Marcus Ray, who was uh, we did oh, yeah. the CBS Diversity Showcase together. He was in there, so I went to go watch him and just support him, and I yeah. laughed so hard. <laughs> Full circle again. I knew Marcus was funny, but the other people in that writing lab um, I had met a couple times didn't really know but I was like, I cannot believe the show was so funny.
1: Hmm.
2: Like the way they were making me laugh was not how I understood how comedy was supposed to be. Right, I didn't see any hard jokes. Like there were some just wild, you know, premises. They were getting getting big laughs off of just, you know, being vulnerable and having emotional yeah. shifts and just playing these things. I was like, how is this possible? <laughs> And the director was Karen Mariama, um, you know, it was an institution, you know, on her own. Mm. And I remember after that show, I was just like, damn it. I just remember feeling this thing inside me like, you're not done. I was like, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> All right. So I called him up, you know, shortly afterwards. I was like, you know, if I if I do this right, maybe I can catch up and and, and be with Marcus, uh, you know, if he goes into Sunday Company, maybe I can catch up and we can, you know, perform together there. What I didn't know about the groundlings is that there's no catching up like there's the there's so many people in the pipeline right like there's a there's a there's a bit of a wait. so that took me like seven years or something like that when I came back to to finally get into Maine and I was trying to go as fast as I could but just the wait alone but yeah the humility and the home again I'd done multiple shows I'd you know I was I guess you could consider I was an acting working actor at the time. Like, you know, it just, a journeyman working at, you know, you just, you just get work and you just like, okay, I finally, I finally moved to that, that space in my career where I was like, I know I just make a living as an actor. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to book a job some kind of way. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. So by the time I got into Sunday company, which is about an 18 month commitment, I had, I had already booked insecure And so i was balancing that in between
0: that's right
2: actually i take that back i did i booked that right before and i was uh in an advanced writing lab and uh, i almost couldn't finish that which would have meant that i would have been out of the program again but uh, i was able to work that out and um and yeah i I basically shot all of insecure for the most part um, while i was in sunday company for that 18 months while i was doing that and then of course the last season um, was last year, but I was yeah. always juggling time between the groundlings and doing a show. So when I when I spoke to the humility part of it, it, it was just like some people I feel like get to a point in their career and they just decide for themselves that they're too good to do something, or they they move past this mm-hmm. whatever that is. Yeah, and we make we make that up. That's right. You know, we make that up ourselves. Yeah, I don't do co stars anymore you know, uh-huh. like, oh right. re- oh really why right. why don't you do that right. you don't like to work Yeah, you don't like to act i'm just above that oh are you because i don't know who the hell you are mm-hmm. and i'm pretty sure if i stood you out in the middle of the street nobody knows who you are so what do you mean you're too good to work is that's the work right. good that's what you should really be thinking about is there something about this thing that i like and that i can contribute and that i want to do all right then do it
0: that's right
2: if if we're artists and we really want to act now, of course there's like the business side of all that, but let the reps worry about that. Let them figure that out. It's, you know, that's bringing it all the way back to Williamstown. I met Joe Morton at Williamstown. Yeah. He was there our summer in '02. two. That's right. And I, I, I spoke to him and I asked him for some advice then about a career and, 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 um, you know, at the, you know, at the point in time, he was like, look, just just try and do as much stuff as you as you can do right now. You're, it, this is this is where you're at in your life and your career. Just try and do as much stuff as you can. Right. Years later, about 10 years later, I ran into him. Um, I did this play called The Exonerated uh, off Broadway. Um, and he was he was in it during. Um, he was rotating out when I was coming in, but he was there my week. And so I asked to take him you know, to lunch. Again, I said, you know, I reminded him we met in Williamstown 10 years prior. And I said, um, I'd love to take you out for lunch and get some more advice. And we met up and he gave me some more advice. You know, I said, look, this is, you know, this is what happened in my last 10 years. And I'm trying to figure out how to navigate it and make better choices and, and, and make smart decisions. And he told me, he's like, it's people, project and money. Hmm. That's he's like, that's how I make my decisions. Yeah. do I want to work with these people. Mm-hmm. is the project something I want to work on or are they paying me so much money that, and I, and I want the money or I need the money, but he, but the caveat he said with the money is like, but if it's for the money, you make sure you're getting the money. What, that you, that you, you deserve. Yeah, that, that you deserve or right. also that you think that is worth it to say I did it for the money. Scale plus 10 <laughs> ain't for the money.
0: <laughs>
1: right. You know, Mm-hmm.
2: But if you get something that's like, look, I don't, you know, you know, I did, I got paid a hundred grand in, in, in two weeks to do something. Yeah. I took it. You know, yeah, you, yeah. you can justify that for yourself and your know, artistic, you know, soul. but the people in the project is probably where I focus in on, you know, do I want to work with some people? Look, the, I'm doing this interview now. Cause I know you, you're a friend that's like, yeah, let's do this. If somebody else yeah. who I didn't know, and we're like, I have this podcast and I do this. I might be like, I don't know. Sure. It's no, not, completely. and it's not that I'm too good to do it. It's just that it's these aren't the kind of things that I seek out to do on a daily basis. Well,
0: first of all, life is short, and secondly, you know the amount of time, the amount of work that you put in uh, on your multiple projects that were things that you're working on. Your t- time time's very precious. You know, it's clear. 100%. You, know, you so, go back to the groundlings for a moment here, just to talk about. It. I mean, the hours that you're putting in there while you're shooting Insecure. Yeah, which i, I that, thats a reminder to me about the fact that that was happening at the same time. I mean, those are sometimes the hours over at Groundlings sound like you're starting out at a law firm or a hedge fund. You know, is anybody <laughs> yeah, over intense. there? Anybody over there? A, an actual parent who's trying to work their way up into the main company, or is, is the Groundlings for the childless only?
2: <laughs> well, uh, no, they—they—they they have a couple parents. There's a guy in now who just became a member. He just had a newborn. Uh, uh, no, he's got a—he's got a—he's got, got a a one month old. And a three-year-old. Good for him and, for doing and, it. And we were out last night, uh, you know, pitching stuff till 1130 at night. <laughs> and, and yeah, you know, and why am I still at the Groundlings at this point? It's like, yeah, cause, because I have still have things I want to work on. I want to get better. Yeah. yeah. And that is a place where I can do that, where I can work on my writing and I work work on my acting and I can work on my comedic point of view and work on developing that voice on that stage in that medium um, which i can't do just to stand up and i can't do just at home writing writing spec scripts you know again not too good to be trying to work on myself and to try to keep getting better hopefully the you know the goal the end goal is to get into like a, you know to get your name out enough or to get into a mode or do enough work where people just keep Offering you work, so then you have to start turning down the the other mm-hmm. things, and then your development becomes in from project to project. But you're getting paid, you know. Yeah.
1: So I now, used to always
2: I used to always say Denzel works all the time because he works all the time. You know, <laughs> same with Sam Jackson. They work all the time because they work all the time. You know, it's like you get so many things rolling. It's just like you know. I
0: remember an interview once with Sam. Jackson. Sam Jackson, by the way, has said some of my favorite things about the business. Which is one one of them is like he talked about people say. Uh. She would say, oh, I never watch my own work, you know? And he says, why, why not? He's like, he's, he said, it's a watch me business. <laughs> why wouldn't you watch yourself? And then I remember an interview with him once where he said something about his agents. He was just like, he's, like, I'm finishing up this project now and my agents better have something for me to work on in, in, in the next day, you know? But yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that philosophy about work and I just want work too, you know? I think, you know, so let's talk about TV for a second. So TV-wise, you've been booking, great work all along the way on shows like the league parks and recreation wilfred adam ruins everything you also racked up a bunch of drama credits on procedurals like criminal minds law and order la Mm -hmm. ncis and ncis la and it also looks like you did a prestige miniseries early on for espn in 2007 called the bronx is burning an outstanding cast including oliver platt playing yankees owner george steinbrenner you got daniel sunjata John Turturro, Chris McDonald, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Shooter McGavin, and a couple of our Williamstown buddies, Joe Grafazzi mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Alex Cranmer. This is the story of the New York Yankees attempt to win the 1977 World Series. I guess they beat the Dodgers that year. Um, mm-hmm. And IMDb, as you listed, is playing Mickey Rippers for eight episodes.
2: The yeah. miniseries sounds incredible. For, can you find Can you still watch it? Um yeah where could you find that I don't know I, you might be able to find the DVD somewhere um that was a funny again that was a funny thing where getting concerned about the business versus concerned about the work it, the release the release of it didn't re- didn't really hit that hard um like it was probably some, new they,
0: for ESPN at the time
2: it was and they don't do scripted series anymore um that we were like one of the first two or whatever scripted series that they had uh, attempted that were supposed to be around sports related things. And then shortly after whoever, I don't know, whatever higher ups decided, they weren't going to do that anymore. Um, But yeah, something about the release got messed up. Like, I think there was like a home, home run derby or all-star game or something like that. And then we were, then, then they were going to roll into the series, but whatever happened ran late. And so our show just kind of never really got the premiere that it was supposed to have. And thus thus a lot of people didn't watch it, but yeah, that's the business side of the things. The work part of it was, you know, yeah, for the most part, life changing for me. You know, I met so many great people and I had so many great conversations with people on set and things like that um, that really helped me out uh, in my career. And and that that would be the one thing I would say for anybody who, who may be listening, who might be starting out right now or, or wherever. Um, if, you, you know, worrying about connections and all this other stuff, like I never had any of that. Um, but yeah. when I had an opportunity to meet somebody, if you give me five minutes, I'm going to fill that with five minutes of questions and knowledge seeking and, and hoping that you're going to. I mean, John Turturro taught me so much on that set. I still use hmm. that you know stuff to this day um, and gave me so much confidence and, um, hmm. and and recognized early on. He's like he recognized that I was somebody young and starting off in my career and I didn't necessarily know everything and helped me out as as opposed to being annoyed by this new kid on the block, you know, participating in this kind of took me under his wing for a little bit um, during that project. And, you know, that helped me out, you know, watching Dan Sujata, like watching him Mm. portray Reggie Jackson, how he was doing stuff, I learned so much by that um joe grafazi who was uh, at williamstown during our year i learned i learned so much from him when i was at williamstown and and, and um and then yeah. when i ran into him on set it was just like oh thank god i mean that guy's like my uncle my, my guardian angel you know I've, I've, I've kept up contact with him um you know over the years um yeah you know we've fallen out of contact a little bit but you know so basically in short i made my own mentors um whether or not they were live and in person, like for real people, or whether or not it's just virtual. And like kind of in my mind where I was like, I just read up everything about somebody and study their work. You know, I have every Denzel movie he's ever done um, on DVD. Yeah. Um, just bought it on GP, hunted them those things down. And I'd watch that and I'd study. And I, and I looked mm-hmm. up his bios and interviews and things. At one point I wanted to go to ACT um, in San Francisco. Why? Cause Denzel went there for a time.
0: Huh, you know, I didn't I just, know that. I, you know, I knew he would I, just, I knew he did Fordham. But yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah,
2: interesting. So you just follow people, but but yeah, you know, when you're on these sets, a lot of things are, are all about me and like trying to prove, you know, jockeying for position and trying to prove you're somebody. Uh, Max Casello is another great guy I talked to on right. on, on sets. Who who uh, yeah. Who's also in the series. He was on the Sopranos, but you know, most famously known as uh from Doogie Hauser as Doogie's friend. You know, talking to that guy just on lunch or in breaks or in between stuff like really just opened me up to so many different things. And uh, Alan Ruck, you know, yeah, from one, Succession from, from and playing success, Cameron, now and, Succession, yeah. Ferris Bueller's, you know, yeah. these 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 trans. You know, when you're in a van with 14 people and you're just moving from set to set, like some people just get on their phone and start talking. No, I put the phone down. I look, hey, big fan <laughs> of your work. Uh, yeah, big fan of your work. Can you tell me about this? Lauren, Lauren Dean, um, from, um, who's in a movie Gattaca, one of my favorite movies. Um, yeah. he was also in, in, in the movie, Seth Gilliam, who was on the wire and, um, and now, uh, I think fear of the walking dead and a bunch of stuff. So anyways, I, I basically, I was in a, I was in a, I ended up in a mini series where I was outclassed by everybody in the cast. I okay. slipped in there some kind of way. <laughs> um, major casting directors, veteran casting directors on
0: the Billy Hopkins and Paul Schnee. Yeah. Were you repped by one of the big agencies at the time? Did Wylan Out get you no. with...
2: No. No, I've never been repped by a big agency. I've really? Well, actually, I take that back. I was with APA for, for a okay. short stint. Yeah. Um, but overall, no. Overall, fighting tooth and nail mm-hmm. to get any and everything that I got. Even with Insecure, like, you know, I ended up on there in season three, but, you know, I had tested for the pilot. Yeah. They brought me in for something else. Right. You know, I was close to that. They brought me in for something. I probably auditioned for, like, four or five different characters before I ended before up I, I think you had said, with...
0: you, yeah, you had auditioned. You thought maybe 19, or were you exaggerating? 19 times? No, that
2: was a, I was a joke. Uh, that was a joke. N- okay. No. Okay. But for, no, actually, least... that's that's actually probably not uh, an inaccurate number of how many times I've auditioned, but I auditioned for about four or five different characters Characters, but yeah yeah. it might have been like 19 different auditions i don't know but yeah i mean it's just tooth and nail on stuff so like i you know i i'm looking forward to that point in my life where you know i have big fancy reps and i and i just Hmm. get you know i just get emails that that say offer but (laughs) until that happens all i know is wake up and fight
0: yeah how many agencies and management companies have you worked with so far i don't
2: know I mean, probably not that many, but, you know, I've definitely fired a couple. uh, I mean, (laughs) probably probably at least six, probably.
0: Okay. Yeah. How do you usually go about getting yourself someone new? Because I think one of the things that I think about a lot is, like, it's hard to know. A a place can have a nice, a good name. You could Mm -hmm. have a nice meeting with somebody. Mm -hmm. And then in the working relationship, it's like, well, they're not doing anything. Or they're not doing anything that they said they were going to do. You know, it would be nice to know in advance if there was a network of saying, this person's bullshit, <laughs> this person works hard. It's hard for us on our end of the thing to have any kind of uh, word of mouth, I guess, about, like, who should we be working with, you know? Yeah, we
2: need, like, an actor's Yelp. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we got-
0: rate my agent.
2: Yeah, rate my agent. This agent's got three stars. <laughs> there isn't a rate my agent. We should do that. That's probably yeah. That's probably the niche in the marketplace that could make us a little bit of money one oh, time, a tiny before, little bit of money
0: one pop, yeah,
2: one time before they shut it down some kind of way. <laughs> well, look, I mean, what you speak to, what you speak to, again, just just folds back into what I'm saying is like, you just got to do the work. You just got to get better, and and when you look in the mirror, you got to be critical. And not everybody can be critical. Most of the time we're delusional, Mm. but not everybody can look in the mirror and say, I got to do better and then go out and do it Mm -hmm. and try to do it. It's whether or not you get there or not, it's just the effort made towards that will lead towards what you want to get. And it never stops. So a lot of times in lieu of getting better, taking a class, writing something creating something like this podcast you know for yourself and in lieu of creating and doing things for yourself we put a lot of responsibility onto the representatives of us Mm -hmm. and blame them right that's true some sometimes that that does happen sure Mm -hmm. but but, i mean just i mean just imagine you know you're a manager you've got a you know a hundred clients you know how many can you call a hundred people in a day no, I don't think so. And effectively do your job, you know. And 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 th- there's ebbs and flows in this business, you know. For something to be written for you that is right for you, it's kind of a luck of a draw. Most of the time, we're trying to, you know, fit that 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 peg. That what is it? Round the peg round in the square,
0: square hole, or whatever. Yeah. In the
2: square hole. Most of the time, that's what we're doing with these auditions, trying to do that. Saying, yeah. "No, I'm telling you, it'll work." And it doesn't. And then you see who did it. And you're like, I could have done that. You could have. But you but they didn't think you could for whatever reason. That's not always a reflection of your talent. It's just it doesn't line up. With the colors that they're trying to paint with whoever the producers or directors they're trying to paint with. But we lash out oftentimes at our reps. And and, and again, sometimes they're they are deserving of that. Um, But overall, what are we supposed to be? What are we here to do? You know, if you're an act, Well, I got an act. If you're an actor, you got an act. That's it. So how do you do that? You know, if you're not act, if you're not booked on something, you better get in a class. If you can't afford a class, you better, you know, call somebody over and let's just run some lines. Hmm. People, you know, I mean, when COVID when COVID shut da- things down and everybody had to do self-tapes, I can't tell you how many people were freaking out and pissed and, and mad about it. But I've been doing self-tapes like I don't know how many, probably six or seven years before all of this has happened, pitching yourself for stuff. I had a camera, and I was like, "Could you know if I put myself on tape?" would they you know? And I started. I was just doing it. No I
1: know shit. I've been self.
2: I know I've been self taping since at least twenty thirteen. Hell, that 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 Parks and Rec credit that you referenced. What, I don't know what the IMDb says on that date, but that was a self tape. So Um, wait a
0: minute, let me get this straight. So that, so going back then, that means that you, 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 that didn't come necessarily from a representative. You found this, you got the sides off show facts.
2: No, 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 no. I did have the appointment, but I I didn't, I couldn't go to the audition. So I taped myself, but I had started taping before that. And I said, look, if you can give me the sides, will I, you know, if I put it on tape, even though I don't have the appointment, do you think you would now this is what i was approaching my reps with like what do you think you could pass that on mm, yeah and like we'll try we'll try um but that 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 particular parks and Rec, and i don't remember i don't remember what that date is on that maybe that's 2010 or 11 or something i don't know if you have the imdb up but um but i was out of town at that point in time and i had to record myself and send it in and i ended up booking it but i yeah. i've been doing self taste prior to that um because i wasn't getting enough opportunity so i'm just looking for solutions you know, just send me sides. And then outside of that, I was like, well, I I can just record myself and and at least evaluate my own work. Actually, now that I say that, yeah, it just brings me to something else I remember. When I first moved to New York, before I started auditioning, again, I knew nothing, but I did have a camera. I was recording myself with my audition material. I was recording myself and watching it over and over again in my parents' basement. Hmm. Um, in Connecticut as I was getting ready to move into New York because that's the only way I knew how I could you know get some kind of feedback off my acting I was like well I'm gonna have to do it right now Hmm. Um, so I recorded myself and uh and actually just I actually just found that uh last Christmas I found some of you found those
0: old recordings
2: yeah it, it looks it looks crazy but but, but it's
0: true though. I mean, because we've been doing that. I, I mean, I think after a year and a half now of doing, or two years, through, Jesus, two and a half years of doing sub, mm-hmm. these self tapes during the pandemic, it is it's eye opening to see what you're putting out there.
2: Mm-hmm. And, you, and can you can help
0: yourself. You know,
2: you can help yourself if you can take that step and just I, again, half of it is just admitting like I got to do more work. I'm not good enough. I want to do. I want to do better. How am I gonna do better? I'm gonna work on this like this. But yeah, but so by the time this lockdown happened and people freaking out, I'm like, this is nothing I can I can I can bang this out in an hour, you know, um, because I have my own system. I know how to do it. And and I've gotten good responses for that. But and I, I feel like I'm way off on a on a. No, don't worry. But like it. I'm off. Of, I feel like I'm on a weed gummy tangent, and I'm not. I haven't had my weed gummy yet. But uh, <laughs> the, the point is, yeah. Again, I just can't say this more enough. 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 It's like you weren't. I think the actors and the creators and the talent are in so much more control of things than we think we are. And there's also so much stuff that's out of our control that we try to control. Um, it got nothing to do with anything. Yeah. Social media. You know all those things. You know getting photos like going to parties and being in a i'm sure that helps i'm sure that would you know make a difference in my life but i'm I'm not all that interested in it um so i don't do it i put my time in like where's leonard i'm working somewhere i'm working out somewhere yeah every day i'm either on stage in some comedy club or i'm on stage at the groundlings or um um or or some other improv theater or uh or i'm booked
0: now, I want, to, I want to ask you about this, because I listened to you and, and do an interview on another podcast called The Risking Space, mm-hmm. where you talked about the audition process for Insecure. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating journey to booking the role of Torian, for which you are very well known now. Uh, but first, just to say a huge congratulations on a fantastic run on a Peabody Award-winning multiple Emmy Award-nominated and NAACP Image Award-winning comedy series. Congrats that. on Thank that. You. Created by a visionary artist, Miss Issa Ray. Yes. We should also talk about the other podcast that you mm-hmm. did because it is your wife,
2: Roxana. Yes, Roxana Ortega. Mm-hmm.
0: It's her podcast and her, and, in a partnership and, with Carla Mosley and yes. the Ammunition Theater Company, of which they are mm-hmm. both company members. The podcast, as I said earlier, is called The Risking Space. It's excellent. They've also mm-hmm. had on Elna Baker of This American Life, who's been a guest on my podcast as well. The Risking Space has great interviews. With artists and folks, could, should go check them out. I want to put that mm-hmm. out there. And now I have to ask you, what kind of mm-hmm. courage does it take? <laughs> mm. What kind of courage does it take to be interviewed on a podcast? Yeah, by your own wife, because <laughs> that seems like a high pressure situation. Talk about the risking space.
2: Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I mean, I guess the I guess the the great thing about me is I can I can I can compartmentalize pretty well. Um It's on, a great interview. most uh, most things. Yeah. Um but yeah, I was, I was I was actually honored to be, you know, part of their, you know, on their guest list. They've had so many great, amazing, prominent guests. I, I you know, just I just like I'm honored to be on this one. I'm like, "Oh, wow, you think I'm interview worthy? Okay." Oh, You good. sure are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Feel, you feeling are.
2: good. Put a little feather in my cap. I've gotten, I've gotten to interview worthy status.
0: Did you do the pre-interview chat with her about what this is? I don't want to talk about this or, you know, I, I don't want to get too personal about this or that.
2: Ah, I try not to censor, you know, whatever the oh, process good, is. Good, you good for you.
0: That's cool. If I don't want to
2: answer a question, I'll bob, my, bob and weave my way out of it.
0: <laughs> All right. So anyway, so, um, Insecure fans know you as Torian, one of Molly's coworkers, at the law office on the series. And as you've said, you you tested for the pilot originally. You tested for the mm-hmm. character of Lawrence, which ultimately mm-hmm. went to Jay Ellis. In fact, as we've mm-hmm. talked about, you've auditioned you auditioned multiple times. Somewhere in that process, you got offered Torian. And I could I just mm-hmm. ask, what was that phone call like? Was it a phone call when they offered you Torian? Eventually, did they did they did you get a phone call, or was it an email? Did it come from your reps?
2: Um, let me think. I think at the time, well, the story behind that, uh, I think at the time I'd got an email as an offer for something. It just had an, I didn't even have a last name at the time. It was possible recurring, Hmm. works at Molly's new job, name is Torian. They're offering it to you. That was it. Okay. So it
0: came through the reps. It was a one day of work. And then it turned into... Potential the,
2: for more. Potential for and, more, yeah. And again, when you're going from, like, I was, you know, when you test for, like, a series and you know the numbers, you know, you know everybody, you can't help but fantasize, like, how this is going to change your life. And then to go all the way down to you get an offer for one, no guarantee on anything. But for me, for me, again, people, project, money. Mm-hmm. The, I wanted to be around those people, and I wanted to be part of that project. yeah. I was not concerned about the money. I, you know, season five I got upgraded to season series regular. That's right, um, which was fantastic. But at the time, again, I just was like, okay, I'll take this day by day. I'll take this episode to episode, and I just want to make this the best experience that I can have in this short amount of time, and do the best work I can with this short amount of time, and and we'll see what happens there, and. And that season three was turned out to be five of eight episodes. Season four, I think I'm in three of eight, maybe I think three of eight. And then um, the last season, um, I think I'm in eight of 10, but Hmm. whatever uh, was guaranteed all 10 episodes, which was, you know, money wise, which great. But yeah, experience wise, again, it was just like, I just want to be part of this world. I just felt, I had felt when the pilot was announced Having been a fan of Isa and seeing her work uh, on the web series, know, on, yeah. on, her, on her web series yeah, stuff yeah. and her book, I I thought I got to be part of this world. There's something about this woman that is groundbreaking and innovative, and I think she's the next one, you know. And I didn't imagine where she's at now would be who she was, but I just knew it. there was some rumblings. Same 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 way I feel about Quinta Brunson with uh with mm-hmm. Abbott Elementary, yeah. You know, I knew about her when I when I saw her. When I saw the announcement for that, I was like, "Ooh, something feels right about this show." Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what that's my one regret I would have about the insecure experience is that at the wrap party for season five, I did not talk to Quinta. Uh, I was a little, I was a little. Uh, You're a little shy enough. Uh, yeah a lot of enough at my own rap party i was a little shy yeah
0: it happens uh, it happens you know it's it's well because being performers it's like we have it's, really it's the two sides of the coin don't you think like it's we're extroverted we're introverted you know it's yeah so next up you're appearing in a in a series for netflix about the last blockbuster store with your yes. wild and out colleague Randall park and our mutual friend melissa Romero. yes can you talk a little bit about that series. It's very exciting.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Vanessa Ramos, our showrunner and creator, um, you know, partnered up with uh Jackie Clark and and David Casp. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a workplace comedy set in the, the the last blockbuster in in the United States. And uh, you know, I can't wait for everybody to see it and hope they enjoy it. You know, again, that's another one of those things where you know, audition for one thing, don't get it. But fortunate enough that you know they found some other place for me.
0: Is that um, right? So you had auditioned for a different character on that particular show, and then yes. Oh, that's great to know. That's that's very cool.
2: Yes, the role that I auditioned for um, eventually went to JB Smooth, which again, it, if you're listening, JB Smooth, and I could not be any more different right. in so many different ways. You know, um, so that that those are those things that are out of your control. But they saw enough in the auditions that I that I gave that they were like, "Oh well, maybe he'd be right for this role hmm. and you know again, happy to have again, people project money, you know, I want to work with those people, and I like the project yeah, so that's that's enough for me and know? this
0: one is a is it a, it's a sitcom is that right? it's not a single cam
2: No, a single cam, yeah. Oh, it is a single well, camp. Okay, yep. I, I misread
0: mm-hmm. that on one of the write-ups. So, can I ask you? Um, this is based originally on. This is based on a real destination, which is was part of a documentary originally, right? The, uh,
2: yes, but it, there's no real relation to, to the documentary and this project. I mean, it's just it's just set in the idea of the last place, the last blockbuster in America. But it it has there's really no no big connection to the documentary and this project.
0: Does it have a kind of a, does it explore a kind of an existentialism in that it's like this place is the last of something. It's sort of the the death is sort of hanging around it and all the characters are in some ways sort of in a purgatory.
2: Uh Wow, that's that's a real deep read into into that log line. I, I would say I would probably say I would probably say no. <laughs> no, um, not at all. I, 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 oh come no, on, I, no. I, I would say think about it like a, a you know, a workplace, rom com. Yes, there's some nineties nostalgia. Um, yeah, yeah. and in reverence to, to, to that kind of thing. Um, but yes, the idea of um, probably yeah, finding yourself into in in and figuring out who you are and what you want when you're when you're stuck in this this kind of place that is dying and you know how do you find new life and bring that life you know um or kick that or change bring bring that life to life can you say that uh, bring, that you know, bring new bring new life to to something that is dying that's what i meant to say
0: oh so there's a sort of a sweet thing there yeah Okay. All right. Great. Yeah. I just depend. Listen. Really. I think it would. I. It's. It would be about tone. You know. Certain comedy mm-hmm. could go into. I would imagine could go to that kind of a, like the IT crowd was a little bit existential, right? Mm-hmm. They're all in that basement, you know, all the mm-hmm. time, and you know, there's a sense of impending doom, and but this Netflix series, this is going to sort of focus a little bit more on. Sort of finding something new, making something new again—that kind of an idea. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. No, that makes and, and, sense. And, and yeah. again,
2: the people—the people are great. You know, the creators are great, and um, absolutely. Yeah, and again, I you know, I'm thankful for the thankful for the work. Uh, and again, I, I think yeah, holding to those principles of, of people and project, you know, it worked out. You know you do enough shows and you do enough work, sometimes you're like, this work environment, you know, every time I read that about somebody, like, somebody left the show because the work environment was, a great. I'm like, what is that about? Because all I hear is all the money they're leaving on the table and they're, and they're walking away from. But I get it. I mean, look, showing up, you know, again, like you said, there's only so much time yeah. we have in a day and on this earth. You know, how do you want to spend it? You know, and so anytime you can find a place where people are great and nice and kind and everybody's working together to create a, to, to create that kind of environment. Um, I love that.
0: Yeah. And finally, uh, where can people find you online?
2: You can find me on Instagram. That's probably the only place I, I'm at. Uh, I am Leonard Robinson. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I have a way I have a website, Leonard Robinson.com. there's really nothing on it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but a bio and a picture of me. But if you want to, if, if you're still into websites, I love a I good website.
0: One. Sure. Yeah.
2: Still in right. the websites? I got one.
0: <laughs> well, Leonard, this has been great. Uh, you're one of the smartest, funniest people I've ever met. Um, oh, wow.
2: Okay. I appreciate that. Can you write oh, yeah. put that in writing and email that back to me?
0: Oh, absolutely. I'll pass I, remember, that I still remember your monologue at Williamstown, your first oh, really? monologue. Holy shit. It was fucking funny. Um, I appreciate that. It was
2: Eric Bogosian. Uh, that's what I thought. Yep.
0: Yeah. You've got a great. Work ethic I deeply admire and a confidence that I'm in awe of. Uh, thanks so much for making the time to chat with me. I, I wish you continued success, safety, and good health.
2: I appreciate that. Thank you so much and uh, honored to be here. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Well, there you have it. My conversation with Leonard Robinson. A big thanks again to Leonard for doing it. I hope you all enjoyed it. Before we move on to our second interview, I'm going to take another opportunity to ask you all to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're getting your podcast from today. We've got more incredible interviews with folks like Claiborne Elder, Beth Reisgraf, Susie Abramite, Gil McKinney, Sufi Bradshaw, Rimi Don, and Michael Grant Terry coming in the next few weeks. Remember to subscribe to our Patreon to get all our extras with Chris Pine, Baron Vaughn, Sarah Paxton, Chantal Tui, Christine Woods, Patrick Adams, and more. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thingsaregoinggreatforme. And you can check out our link tree to get some of our merch. Our link tree is on our Instagram at things are going great for me if you like what you hear so far please give us those five star ratings leave us a nice comment we so appreciate all your ratings reviews and kind words and we want to keep bringing you these great episodes next up is Ji young han we chat about our musical theater training she shares insights from her job working as an assistant to a talent manager and how it led to her testing for her first television pilot as an actor we chat castability researching historical context for a role and pay for working actors it's a super fun chat here now is the smart, very funny, and super talented G Young Han. We were introduced uh, via John our
1: Fletcher. mutual
0: friend, John yes. Fletcher, and my joke about this now is that John... Became my unofficial booker this season when we had to reschedule his interview. And he's he, he's such a good dude that he, he put us in touch.
3: John has too many friends. He's too well liked. Uh he has he knows a lot of people and he's and he could be a casting director with how many actors yeah. he knows. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's that phrase, he must be stopped. I think for John as the <laughs> officer. He must yes. be, he must be encouraged
3: yes he 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 knows so many people and he's a good guy and he 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 knows some really wonderful talented people especially just the working actors not like not like the uh, not like the Margot Robbies of the world obviously he probably does know all of them but he knows <laughs> he knows all the people who are who are just grinding and he he's a really he's a great guy.
0: He knows great folks and you are one of them and he, you know, he's introduced me to a few other folks that I've had the pleasure of interviewing now. And um, so, you know, I didn't, I don't think that I, uh, I didn't know who you were, but as soon as I got an opportunity to look a little bit up, you know, your background and what you've been working on, like you, you have just this wonderful resume and wonderful background of the arts. So you you studied musical theater, is that yeah. right, at, at AMDA in New yeah. York City? Yeah,
3: that's how I met John, yeah. Did,
0: what, is that right? That's how you met him. Did he yes. go to that program with you?
3: Yes. we. He's probably one of my oldest friends in the biz. You know, we've known each other before agents were involved. And and we, did, we met each other before we knew what a pilot season was. and And yeah, so I've known him for so long.
0: So that's incredible. I I went to a musical theater program when I was in New York for my first two years of college. I was at a studio called Cap 21.
3: Uh Uh-huh. Is that through NYU?
0: That was it, was at NYU at the time. Yeah. And then it
3: is somewhere else now.
0: Yeah. Uh I think it I don't know where. I'm trying to remember, but I can't off the top of my head, I can't remember where they are now. But it's a great studio run by very passionate people and sweet people and people it's it, the faculty was lovely you know and uh this is ringing a bell now i am re- remembering now that amda has a very strong musical theater program great reputation
1: yeah
3: amda's funky but i also think amda it, when you look at every school you know uh there are obviously amda's interesting because you had you did have a nice big collection of uh truth be told like extremely talented people and then like what are you doing here and i think that that's that's my god honest truth and of me saying that i was like what are you doing here like you this is not the career you should be going through but bigger picture bigger Uh picture of it all yeah i there have been so many talented people who have gone to that school and who has taken their training and and really they have wonderful really really wonderful careers and you could say that with any school like i Mm -hmm. i know so many people who have gone to i'm not going to list the school names because this is the moment where people are going to come at me (laughs) but like i've many a prestigious school and they're not doing much you know like i was like they're not doing necessarily so at the end of the day, if you're talented, I think the, the reality is get the best training you can get, obviously, especially, um, yeah, like at, at that impressionable age, you know, you should just be working. And then if you're talented, your career will unfold. You know, it's, it's
0: really interesting because, yes, that's, that is totally true. And, I, you know, when I was at NYU, the way it functions, the Tisch School is like it's a small high school within this enormous university. And so, and they have these relationships with all these different acting studios. And so, you know, I think like the, every year, I don't know if they're still this many, but they took, I think our year was at least 100 students, which is different than a lot of the other programs. That You look at a program like BU, I think they take 40, then they do a cut. Right. After the first year, you look at a program like Carnegie Mellon and it's it's just a group of maybe 15, 12 to 15 actors. That's it in a B in a BFA program. And at a school like NYU, you, I mean, there are people that I mean, I remember when graduating, like some people quit acting right away, right, right away. Like and when immediately either they went to grad school or they did. But some of a lot of successful folks coming out of my program, but they not all actors. Some have become. I can think of the top of my head, like one person I'm thinking of, a big stylist, many, many of the big stars, yeah. um, people who work in production for folks like J.J. Abrams, folks who um, are big deal directors now. And yeah. and there's writers. a lot of
3: casting directors, big, big casting directors. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Who are like more talented than I am. and they're, But they're successful casting directors because <laughs> that's just like, the direction that they they preferred, and it, it, it is wild. Yeah, it, I think it's just the way the industry works.
0: I think that you know, you, I don't think if a, fo- a person could do wrong by doing a program like this. It's not it, even if it ends up meaning that someone does not stick with acting, and then right. you know, someone like me, like I feel like I am just, I stuck with it, and I am, I'm struggling. I'm trying my best. I, I've been doing this now since I was eleven. Professionally, yeah, well, without ever being famous and without ever being very, uh, without r- making riches. But I think that uh, I, you know, I, I feel fairly content about it. Yeah, I love it, and I think that's fulfilling in and of itself. I like the the sort of the the adventure of it, but it's not the end of the world. And like you said, I also know folks who've gone to those very prestigious programs who are not acting at all right yeah. now. So, yeah, so. Um, and then yeah. it, I, I, I guess I understand then you went on to study additionally or further at the new school. Is yes, that correct?
3: Yes. I went to the new school. Uh, at that time, it was literally like I went to Amden and then right after I transferred to the new school. and. It was really, really wonderful. But at the same time, I was like, all right, well, I want to get a job. And I took a job because no one would hire me as an actor. Like everyone was going to like hairspray open calls. And I was just like, not right for hairspray. They're like, this is a show about (laughs) embracing diversity, but we're not ready for you Uh, yet in the 60s. Like we don't know what to do with you. We're not sure if we should put you in the white ensemble or heard the black ensemble we're just not sure sorry uh but uh i i i just was like okay i i i'm gonna take some time in and just take get a job finish school and i took a job uh as an assistant for a manager in hmm. new york and i really i was like studying and and interning for her and at that time she she had sent all of her clients to uh, audition for this NBC pilot at the time. That was like a big deal. It, nothing really came of it. It was, uh, it was the American adaptation of Kath and Kim, the Australian oh, show.
0: Okay. This yeah. rings the bell. Yeah.
3: Yeah. 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 So this was what, like 2008, I believe is when it happened. And so I was in school and she's kind of like, okay, she's like a weird girl. I don't know what to do with her. And, and she, she was one of those, like, I am curious what, what would happen if I threw her in and it just Mm. happened to be like none of her other clients were like gonna go any further you might as well try and if they don't like her and I do think it was like at that point they were just like why can't we cast this character they wanted like a weird type a very specific type and uh and I auditioned for it and I I think like there was like a lot of conversation about me testing for it, but then they ended up changing the character. But I think that kind of piqued her interest because Hmm. she's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, like she's, they liked her. They, they, that's a strong, strong first audition for uh, a series regular for a comedy. And from then on, she kind of took me on and I booked like, I booked two very big independent films in New York at that time. which means nothing in the grand scheme of the world anymore, unless you're La La Land. Uh, but yeah, and, and at that time, and then my agents kind of jumped on me, and literally, I was like, I don't think I should be in school anymore. And then I like left school because I was working so much, and wow. that kind of was like a weird. That's kind of how my my whole career started.
0: That's an incredible story. i, I, I you know I've heard of other folks who have done a similar thing where it's like they've gotten an internship working for an agent
2: yeah. or working yeah.
0: for a manager and they end up uh at the very least learning so much about oh, yeah, the, yeah, about how it really works and i think that nobody gave me that particular advice that would have been great advice i think yeah. you know to, to because you're your understanding, I mean, could you speak to that? You know, this, You've, you, you were sitting there. So, w- what did you notice early on about uh, what are some of the myths that actors may believe about what's going on behind the curtain at their agency or management company?
3: Um, I think that, I think one thing I, I saw a casting director say once that resonated, uh, Marcy Phillips in ABC. I don't oh, yeah. remember where she said this, but she said one time, like every actor, you, you'll you kind of read a breakdown and you just go, that's me. Like every actor thinks like, <laughs> that is
0: me. Right, they and, read it like a horoscope.
3: Yes, they're like, I that this rule has never been more perfect. My, my and mood reality, is rising
0: just like for the character and yeah.
3: And the reality is there aren't, you're probably not. Like there's a very like small handful of people who are actually perfect for certain roles. And I think what happened specifically at that time too, i definitely, I'm not one of those actors who looks at breakdowns anymore. I know people still do. And I think everyone has their piece, like that's either good for them or not. And I, I, I also think that, yeah, if, if, you know, mistakes get made. Like, if you think you're really right for something and your agents didn't get you an audition, like, you should, like, I've had, I've had this year alone, I've had an opportunity uh, that almost didn't happen solely because a casting director just was like, I don't know her, I don't care. And Mm, cut to, like, the only reason I got seen was because my agent was good friends with the writer. You know, it's like, mistakes always get made The casting director mm. is doing the best they can agents are always doing their best so as long as you're like i i get the whole wanting to be as much in control of it but having been on the other side like you know you could read a breakdown and they'd be like it sounds exactly like you but And you don't understand why you can't get an audition for it. Like you don't understand why you're not getting seen for it. But the reality is it's it might not be you. And most of the time it's like if as long as you're working with the right agents, like really like the people who believe in you and love you there's a reason you're not getting seen for things. And it's not always just like, because they're not doing their job or they don't care about you. Like they want to make money too. Mm-hmm. They want the best for you and they're doing the best they can. So from my end, I think I I saw like, you know, you don't get it. Like it's something as simple as like, that role was perfect for you, but actually- they cast someone who is exactly like you for the other role and they just offered it to her. And that's why like, you're gonna not be right for this role anymore. It's like, (laughs) you know, like there's so much more at play uh, than, and I think actors, we kind of sometimes think the world just revolves around us.
0: Oh, completely. Yeah. And do you do you um, are you still doing that thing of like, do you seek out a role that might be on the horizon and on some important project or you get wind of something and you're like, "Ooh, I I could be right for that and tell your raps. Do you do that? Uh, because I feel like I've gotten very like lazy about that.
3: I don't think so. Like, you know, I'm trying to think of like what that is. So, like, there used to be times where, like, I would hear a news thing about a book being adapted into a series. Mm. And then I'm that person who reads the book <laughs> and then tells my agent. And you know what? A couple of those where I was like, I actually would be great for this. Never heard anything about a series ever moving forward. So it's like, I'm mm. glad I read the book. But it's like, yeah, you know, like, you you I think you just have to really trust that. If it's happening your agents will get you seen for it like if you know it, 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 it it's kind of a waste of like your dreams to like focus on those uh i'm trying to think of another one like the only other time i was like laser focused was when pachinko was announced but and my agents were on it except for the fact that apart from it from it being a Korean story, Mm -hmm. I was not right for any of the characters.
0: Uh, But, and it was such a
3: long time, like before like I approached them about it versus like they were actually casting it. So I kind of am just like, there are a lot of opportunities more than you think, um, apart from the ones that you think are gonna be the ones. (laughs) And so it just feels like, I don't know, it's, it's like, trying to daydream your way into like, like if I said, Oh, Chris Evans is, is looking for a future wife. He's really like, and me just like setting my sights on trying to like date Chris Evans. It's like, it's not (laughs) totally impossible. It's not totally impossible.
0: You can put it out into the universe for sure. Except
3: when you're just focused on that, you, you aren't meeting, really wonderful people around you. That's how I see it. I, I, I try ah, to be a little I like bit that. more, I, I do try to be a little bit more present about it.
0: That's cool. I like that a lot. So but, so, but going back to what you were saying, and you had said this to me, like when we were emailing back and forth a little bit, you had said that when it came to theater, it seems mm. like specifically, and I guess musical theater, which is something that you love, something I love as well. And it's, you know, the cast, you wrote that the casting director's Weren't sure what to do with a plucky Korean girl yeah. whose audition pieces included "The Ladies Who Lunch," which is a <laughs> fucking hilarious line, and I love that song. Yeah. So, but you did something about it. It looks like at the time because you developed a web series, a comedic musical. Oh yeah, web series called City of Dreams with a couple yeah. of friends of yours, and um, it is wonderful. I watched yes. some of it. I recommend go, folks go check it out on YouTube. And you recruited some big names in Broadway to appear in the series, like yeah. Billy Porter, and it turned out because I read this Laura Osnes, Laura who Osnes. was who was uh, John Fletcher again, helpful, yeah. I guess, right? In <gasps> yes, recruit her for that. Yeah, a just a match, John. Yes, um, yes. loved it, and so. You know, this to me, though, indicates that you were not going to sit around and wait for people to find you. You were going to make them deal with you and see your see your immense talents and. Do you, I mean can you I talk like little- how you,
3: I like how you said that you're gonna make them deal with you like that's yeah. gonna be the title of my memoir <laughs> I'm gonna make you
0: deal with me you're yeah. not ready for me but I'm gonna make you deal with me I think as it should be and so and I, I loved it so can you talk a little bit about like what was the frustration that led to a, an aha moment or a trigger moment of like we're gonna go out we're gonna make something it's gonna yeah. be everything that we wanted to be in terms of it's gonna be funny. It's going to have original music in it i mean this to me is a level of creativity that uh i, I i'm just in awe of how yeah. wonderful it was when it came together
3: city of dreams um <clears throat> i don't know if you're able to understand the timing of it but we we, we we worked on it right when we first saw like the previews for smash
2: and, oh, love uh, it. Yeah. yes.
3: And my friends <laughs> and I, we, you know, all of us, we, uh, John, Justin and I, we came together and we were just having this dinner and kind of going like every musical theater uh, story that's kind of out in the world is very glamorized, uh, you know, especially with Smash, like this girl, Karen, who no one has, she does not have a resume, apparently. But there's got to
0: there's, there's be a scene where they arrive at, at Port Authority and with, <laughs> exactly. a, with a roller bag. Yeah,
3: Exactly. Everything has started being Annie. It's like, and, mm-hmm. and the reality is it's not like that. And uh, I mean, the fact that I've had a really, really wonderful career and, but I had to kind of step away from what I really wanted to do because it, there were just, I didn't see a place for me in there. And we're kind of talking about that. Like, it's like, you know some of my favorite musical theater artists are like the weirdest ones and you know they're they're all just we're like that's what i kind of was drawn to the mm. the and I, I don't know if it was like a feeling of musical theaters feeling prim and proper too pretty to this but we're like uh, we that story is important for us too like you know the horror stories of auditioning because <laughs> a horror story of like doing a bad bad musical theater audition is always oh, they're, worse they're
0: infinitely worse than anything it's else yeah always i, I had worse. one once where because i so when i was at cap 21 i did you know we did singing dancing acting my dancing of course was terrible i loved it i But it's very vulnerable. It's very vulnerable. I wasn't very good at it. And I, you know, uh, I think I got straight B minuses in all of my dance classes. But I think that, um, but I do remember coming out of college and going to a particular audition that was, it was tap heavy. And they lined everybody up. They brought a bunch of people into a room and the the Tony Award winning uh, choreographer did the tap routine so quickly for us to quickly watch and learn, and then dance just two at a time in front of everybody. And it was just, I was out there. <laughs> like, like
3: <laughs> I wanna see this.
0: Doing a Charlie Chaplin impression. Like I had no idea what I was doing, but they are, they can be
1: absolutely.
3: They're mortifying. And and there's like, you either had your start to be moment. You either went in there, crushed it, knew you crushed it, or it was the worst day of your life. I feel like the the audition for a musical theater, there's no spectrum. I I don't know that many spectrums. The spectrum is like going to an EPA call because it's like mm-hmm. you could do well, but it's going nowhere. But like, uh-huh. but I, I, and uh, I think at that time I was telling them about a horrible audition that I went to for musical theater. I had auditioned for Into the Woods at the public
0: and oh God, I, wow.
3: for little red and I mm, wow. gave such a great, like first initial audition for the director. Like I gave such a good audition, but, but then I had to come back for like more people, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. And so I, I like slayed it at this audition. And I think I was like really working on that song. I know things now way too much. Like I was listening (laughs) to, I was really focused on it and like really aggressively belting it that I lost my voice and like showed Uh, back up to like all the important people who would be the decision of like whether you get it or not. And I think it was like wild to like, and I was talking about this laughing at how mortifying bad auditions can be. Like imagine squeaky G (laughs) <laughs> like, just doing her best. <laughs> like, now you have casting directors and the director just being like, what the fuck
0: happened? <laughs> right. you, you see that they have to lean over and be yes. like, they were really good last yeah, time. Yeah.
3: last time. And I was like, it's not. But we were we were laughing about that. Just like how, like, how mortifying the experiences and how you know that that's really takes a toll mm. on uh stage actors and we wanted to come up with this series city of dreams to more uh talk about that like mm-hmm. yeah. talk about uh just there's this weird L- uh new york culture of musical theater artists not the ones who are on necessarily broadway just all the ones just trying to make it that that's that's always a little humiliating that's always like the folks that are putting up
0: their little cabaret reviews at different bars around downtown yeah yeah absolutely all of
3: those which is just not the same as (laughs) the auditioning culture in los angeles there's it's just not it's just not the same it's hard to explain uh and and we we did it i i don't know what got us into making it uh original music i think we just we just had people who were so good at writing music that it made sense. Um, and no, it was just, it kind of was an opportunity for us to just be like, let's do the show we want to do, not the show anyone asked us to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: That's wonderful. I, so, you know, then since since then, you, you moved out to California. You're from here originally, right? Yes. You you were you were born in a place or sorry, I don't know, you were raised in Walnuts, California. Walnut,
3: California.
0: Must be you you must have written that to me because then I was like Walnut, California, and I looked it up. It's uh, because it's an interesting name for a town. Turns out that it's about equidistant from LA as places like Anaheim and Pasadena. Walnut, California has been ranked a California best city to live in. Did you go to did you go to high school in Walnut or in LA?
3: in walnut walnut high school it's uh it's it's weird to say i'm from la because it is la but it reads more walnut definitely reads more like orange county suburbs yeah Uh, because everyone i know in our age bracket who genuinely grew up in los angeles like when we grew up their stories of growing up in la it's like yeah by the time i was 12 i went to rehab and like Then when I was like 15, I got back into the Coke. It's like, like, I didn't know what rehab was until I was maybe 20. Like Walnut was like, we are studying. We're just working on our SAT prep.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a much more sheltered community. Yeah. Yeah.
3: The LA world is uh, wild. It's wild.
0: I would imagine. I mean, I've, I've had some friends over the years who have grown up here and, um, you know, and now my kids. I'm. I think about them and them growing up here. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's a fast. It, it feels like it could be a fast town to grow up in. Yeah. Definitely back in the '90s. I would. Yeah, say Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's different. Way different. Oh my
0: god. Um. But I think that you know New York. I think too. It's like you, you hear those stories of the New York kids who grew yeah. up and are they're taking the subway home at age like ten by themselves yeah. in New York City and like I yeah. keep, you. I could not fathom. That as a parent now, the idea of just letting your kid find their way home in a major city. Um, So then, but do you feel like you were close enough to, you know, in the sense that it was sort of preparing you in the abstract in advance for taking on a career in entertainment? Were you that kind of close to what was going on with entertainment, the entertainment Uh, business?
3: Honestly, I don't think so. Like, I don't think, I think, It was cool. I remember my favorite activity as a senior was to uh, my friends and I, we got our cars and we would drive to LA and we'd go to movie premieres and get people's signatures. There's like a, there's a really cute, like Getty image of me at the click premiere with braces getting kissed by Adam Sandler. It exists. I'm going to find it for you. Oh my God. Will you please send it? It's so funny, but that's what I would do and uh th- but like that's not <laughs> our life you know that's not our life at all uh i i, I think uh yeah i don't know i think i think it- it's not the same i think unless you're fully in it you're gonna learn all these new things because i i just felt like it felt like i should have known more but no one i knew was into entertainment everyone was an upper middle-class Asian person just trying to go to UCLA, you know? Like, so it it almost felt a little bit, Mm. I think that's kind of why I decided to make the move to New York. I wanted to really immerse myself in the art and really focus on it. And I think had I stayed in LA, I don't know if I necessarily would have uh, done it. It would have felt like I could always go back home or,
0: Mm. yeah. yeah, and,
3: And I think that's probably...
0: You had to like r- remove that safety net a little bit. Do you feel yeah. that's kind of what you mean?
3: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And then when you were in New York, you, as you said, you television and film were going pretty well. Yeah. And I mean, so you, you're, it looks like your first TV acting job was on 30 Rock. Is that right? Yeah.
3: That was my first job. Hell yeah.
0: That's a, that's that, a great booking.
3: It was wild. It was so, and everyone was so nice. It was when Kelsey Grammer guest starred during like the height of his like <laughs> I think he like left Camille and like was like engaged to get married oh Camille said, like, right the, I was like
0: I think in terms of Fraser, but not in terms of real housewife yeah, yeah yeah
3: yeah right? no but yeah, like this I'm was like you. a big a big thing like I I wasn't a housewife person I just knew that that was a big trending moment of, <laughs> of, of time and Jack McBrayer and um, Jane Krakowski they were mm. so nice and you don't always get that like it's very scary and i also think when you do your firsts your first co-star your first any job there is nothing that prepares you for that it's always going to be a little overwhelming Hmm. and the fact that they were so kind and so sweet like that that was really wonderful uh I, I I couldn't have asked for a better first TV job.
0: That's awesome. And one of the things that occurs to me about booking TV and film in New York is that it's a lot fewer casting directors, right? Yeah. You mentioned Marcy Phillips. Like, yeah. shoot, that's in a very important person. If you're yeah. in New York, it's like because LA, it's more folks. It's like you really got to book all those rooms yeah. in a way, right? N- not every role, yeah. but you have to book the room because it's yeah. a smaller pool of folks who are hiring people, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, it looks like uh, you started to book some television pilots. My guess would be that you booked the first ones out of New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would that be right?
3: The very first, uh, I had a couple I tested for when I was in New York. The very hmm. first pilot I've ever booked was for Comedy Central. It was called Black Jack. It was a David Gordon Green pilot. Wow. And that's what I also do love about New York versus L.A. is when you book in New York, depending on who you work with, obviously, they don't do as much of the especially if it's a New York show they don't do a lot of like the crazy testing that LA does. Mm -hmm. I remember like one of my first uh, WB tests, it was for, I hate my teenage daughter. Do you remember that
0: set cog? I don't, yes, very vaguely. Yeah.
3: I think that there's something about being in New York. Like you said, all these casting directors, like you, 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 you get one to fall in love with you you're great mm-hmm. you're, you will be on a wb show any day like they will put you in for anything but in la it's obviously very different then you're showing up to paramount and it feels like you're gonna get the job because you're already at the studio <laughs> like it just but it, it's really scary like doing a studio test in front of all the people doing a network test and we've kind of they don't do that anymore like they've really stopped doing the you have to read for 20 people and they're just not going to laugh. It's like, but mm, I remember mm. like in New York, the first pilot I did was blackjack for comedy central. And I don't know if it's cause it was David Gordon green or if it was cause it was a New York show, but I never had to test for that. He just was like her, she's the one. And then cool. it went, and I thought every pilot was going to be like that. And wow. then, right. And then everything changed when I moved to LA, yeah.
0: So you, so then eventually, so what was that decision to move back out to the West Coast? What were, was it the, in part, was it some advice that you were getting from your reps? Did you start working with new reps around that time?
3: I don't think it was, I think that there were so many opportunities in LA that were just slipping through my fingers because they wanted to hire someone from LA. It's like you know, in LA, if 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 you are right for something, like I, that is maybe it's different in this COVID world where we're all just looking at clips of things. Like mm-hmm. I could. I could be on Mars right now and somehow book something that shoots in LA <laughs> tomorrow. You know, like yeah. no one knows. No
0: one knows. Yeah. No
3: one knows. But in New York, just the cost of, of sending someone out there, they don't want to do it, but it's so easy. And there's something about being in a room that, that people love, like they feel like they found you, you know, like, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's an actual like technique. Like people love to be the ones that feel like they found you. Like you didn't do the work. They're like, I caught her. But so I felt like LA just didn't want to give New York a chance. And um, but there's something about uh, watching all of these opportunities go away that that felt like I, I needed to try LA. And also, I, I think I had to really like uh, understand that maybe I wasn't going to have this wonderful. Uh, theater career that I had wanted if Mm. like so it's like and what's crazy is I think theater is getting better and also right when I Mm. left New York all of these New York TV shows start like Orange the New Black uh, uh, anything that like
0: Alexa Fogel is cast yes everything
3: everything like I love watching Atlanta and recognizing Mm -hmm. Yeah, all these New York actors. uh, And I think I think you just do what you think is the best at that time.
0: I think they have some of the best writing, too. Like, it seems to me that like a lot of the shows that are up and down the uh, East Coast now are the ones that are like, like what a Stranger Things is like down in Atlanta now. Right. And like, you know, but and, you know, I was just interviewing someone on the Gilded Age. And I think it's like these the shows that. Uh, you, you know and LA's got great shows too you know they've got yeah. West, we've got Westworld I don't yeah. know what else we've got period point, we've got know? Westworld like, that's it how do you consider yourself like an, a New York Atlanta LA like person do you think that or, or do you feel like you're an LA actor right now or does it really matter
3: I don't think it really matters I yeah I I just want to work so like if you want me to be an Atlanta person I'll be an Atlanta yeah, person sure. I, I'm I think I have some, I think it's, I think it's really wonderful to put down your roots though. I think that,
0: Mm, Yeah. I think. I like LA a lot. I gotta say that. I I really like it here. I really would love if if the business, if, you know, if the business were going to continue to be here, I would be just thrilled about it. You know, the idea of going back to New York sounds super fun. I want to know what you think about like, Are you going to try to make your way back to doing New York theater?
3: I would love to do that. It's interesting. I was just talking to my agent last week and there's this indie film and a decently budgeted indie, decently budgeted Indian, indie. Oh my God, I can't speak. (laughs) Don't edit this out. I want the rawness. But a well, it has money. This indie film has money. OK, yeah, yeah. it'll probably All be right. released by Focus Features. Okay. But like, I love when they say independent because it just means we don't want to pay the actors like,
0: yeah.
3: but, <laughs> that they, is really funny. but they were just asking about my availability and I was like, oh, OK. Like, and I was like, what do you mean my availability? Like, why are you sending me for interest? Like, I, that doesn't mean anything. I'm not getting offers. Like, you're going to make me read this at some point for someone. Mm -hmm. But they were genuinely interested. And they're like, would she be willing to be a local hire? Mm -hmm. And I I was like, what does that mean? Because I've also been up for a different independent film at a different time And that time it meant more like, oh, we we'll fly her out, we'll we'll put her up. We just we just don't want to make her like, we don't want to pay her for the 14 day quarantine of COVID. Like that's it. I was like, okay, well it's wow,
0: right. Yeah.
3: Okay, okay, I get that. But like what does this mean? And I think they wanted to just be like just total local. And there was a moment where I saw that and went, started calculating in my brain. And I went. Oh, man, it's really expensive to, like, be a local hire in New York. I don't think it's that expensive to be a local hire in L.A. Like, I think you can Mm. be in New York. Mm -hmm. Someone asks you to come to L.A. and shoot. I think you could do that. But I Mm. don't think it's that easy the other way around. Because the the only thing I thought about was, are they going to pick me up? Or am I going to have to, like, show up to, like, that spot where the shuttle comes in at like 4.30 AM. Like, I don't want that, but they're right. going to be like, but she's a local, like we shouldn't have to drive her. I was like, I don't want to take the subway. Like there were so many things reeling in my brain hmm. going like, it's actually hard to be a New York actor, unless you're a star. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, I was doing all of it going, well, can they pay for my flight? I, I, I think, I think it's it's strange that the New York culture of of working.
1: It
0: is. I've done at least one independent film, which was a very big. It was like what you're talking about. It was um, wasn't focused features, but it was like that. And they did. They said, you know, can you be a local hire? And they this was an interesting one because I definitely was gonna do it, right. and I had family that I could stay with in New York, so I had to fly myself. Yeah. Stayed there. And then I was told, I mean, the day rate that I was told was um, very little money. They it just it just so happened that after the fact, they decided to pay me more than what they said they were going to pay me. I don't know why that happened. I just got a check for. Four times what they said they were going to pay me.
3: It was John yeah. Fletcher.
0: He he made a call. John. John Fletcher uh, made a call. Was like, John was like, you know who you're dealing with? That's my friend, Claude, and you must oh, pay him well. No. Yeah. What a knight in shining armor. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I know. I think there are, I remember hearing early on from somebody, was uh, a workshop director at Williamstown, uh, big and also an amazing uh, audition coach, Ted Slubersky, I'm going to throw Ted's name out there, but he was just, I remember him telling a bunch of us 20-somethings. He was like, there is some work that's beneath you. Yeah. Which to hear is like a 20-something person who hasn't had a single credit in your life, you're thinking in terms of like, well, I'll just do anything. And I do think there's some, there's value in being open and saying yes, um, rather than judging everything a little, because you could miss some cool things by judging too quickly but I, on the flip side of that coin I do think it's there's value in also saying like no i the, the this is beneath me yeah um,
3: yeah you you've got to say no i i think uh because like you, you got,
0: said like that's such a perfect distillation of with that kind of a thing that kind of a project is oh what they really mean is independent film but what they really mean is we just don't want to pay the actors.
3: Yeah, well, they definitely didn't want to pay me. The other two attached was like, I know these bitches are in L.A. and (laughs) I know you're, I know you're flying them out. I know (laughs) you're, these bitches are not coming in local. And I was like, absolutely not. I think it's always going to be like, how badly do you want to do something, you know? And there's this weird balance of how badly do you want this job? And mm-hmm, right. how badly do you care about uh, how much you're worth? There's a weird bounce. They're not, it's not a 50-50 measure, you know? Like you can, I've had to say plenty, I've had to say plenty, I've had to say no plenty of times to jobs that just like wouldn't pay me enough. And it never feels good because I don't think I am a greedy person. I I think actors get paid very well, but, quotes exists and you work really hard. And if they want you, they will pay you what you're worth. It's just the reality of it. It, And it's like, that's what I mean by these like independent films. Like I can ask for some caveats, but, you know, I don't want to ever feel like my time has been free.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's what it starts turning into. For anybody who doesn't know, you know, You know, and you're absolutely right, G. It's like actors get paid very well. However, that scenario that you're talking about where you're flying yourself to New York and putting yourself up, like you maybe you don't make any money. That's the point. Yeah. Like maybe you're yeah. not making money doing yeah. it. Or yeah. you're or you're going into debt to do it. And I had um another uh guest on the show uh was talking about going having to fly themselves to Sundance for the premiere of their independent film, and that it was gonna end up costing them more. They you know, it cost them out of pocket more to do that than being in the movie in the first place, just yes. going to the film festival. And they were a yes. lead in the, in the film. So, yeah. you know, actors do get paid very well. Yes. We get paid to do something that we, is such a fun job, but we got to make, we do have we to make, make some money. money. Yeah. yeah. I, I, to, it is yeah. a job.
3: 100%. I did the math and I said, it sounds like if I do this independent film, I will maybe make a month's worth of rent in new york if i even get lucky you know i was just like there's how am i gonna make it but i yeah actors have to get paid and there's so much money in this industry Mm -hmm. and i think that's what's also crazy it's like we're so willing to say yes that sometimes you have to go why do you why do you feel like you have to say no and and there are those moments where i felt like oh i'll just say yes because fill in the blank and they don't always like wildly surprise me. I think there's something about you. I think your instincts are usually right. You know, Mm -hmm. like I've taken jobs that I felt, I don't want to say beneath you, but I think you just know that you would have, you wished you waited a little bit longer because then you would have been more available for something that's, that's better suited for you. Mm -hmm. And then you get, you just have to spend a lot of time or energy, you know, even the work you put into it, um, not feeling as happy as you'd like to be and and that's just not the best situation for anyone
0: completely and i think it can show then in the work sometimes you know or or the thing is like the project there's it's just there's an element of the project where it's like the something is the director is mm, they're not the vision isn't as strong or and and so therefore then the direction of the scenes isn't great the takes they use are not your favorite. And yeah. then you're like, I can't use this footage for anything. So what did I do this for? Yeah. Um. So now you've done equal parts comedy shows and TV procedural yeah. dramas. You know, yeah. you've got you've got very much your, a foot in each uh, side firmly and uh, very impressive. I saw you played G the PA on five episodes. Oh yeah, of comedy, <laughs> bang, comedy Bang Bang.
3: bang, bang.
0: How was that role? Was that a bit of a stretch for you? It was,
3: well, they were not basing it on (laughs) me at all. They didn't know me. I don't honestly don't know how I got the job. The offer just came in. I think it might've been like some comedy people I knew. I don't know, maybe it was an accident, but it was a happy accident. Uh, But I booked it and they, they use all of these young comedians all the time on that show and they just like give them their name like they they're all just their name uh, but it was wild because weird Al was the musical host oh, man. Awesome. and it was really like I we part right next to each other and it was exciting because he had a tesla and that's when teslas were very rare and uh he was the nicest person ever and it was such a fun show uh it's wacky it was crazy we shot in glendale and uh it was it was really really just so much fun fun.
0: glendale where where dreams happen glendale the, There's a portos and
3: dreams. There's
0: a portos and dreams. Do you, were you doing a lot of, um, like, Upright Citizens Brigade, that kind of stuff at the time? Were you doing all the comedy stuff in the school, this comedy I, schools?
3: I, I did it in New York. I did oh, a yeah, lot yeah. in New York. And then I just kind of was like, ah, this feels like a whole new, like, the politics of comedy. It's like a a whole nother amount of work I'm going to have to put in Mm -hmm. if I ever want to be successful. Uh, Yeah, the comedy world specifically is a lot of, you got to invest a lot of your heart, soul, money Money for very little rich then, then you gotta do all return.
0: the levels and you gotta please the right people. Yeah, it's that I mean I've heard that criticism. It's like the Scientology criticism. It's like yes. it just feels like a religion, you know. Yes,
3: yes. Uh and, and, and then I don't know what happened. I I I genuinely have no idea how comedy big thing happened. I think it happened. I genuinely think they like it was an accident, like they like just cast me for one. But then they were like, "Oh, yeah, you're funny." Yeah, Uh, and and then they just kept putting me in more, which was which was fine. It's worse when it's the other way around. When we're like, (laughs) "She's gonna be so good, Ji Young Han. You gotta know her." Never mind, she sucks. sucks." Never mind. (laughs)
0: So and then a, a perhaps a possible dream job you booked a great recurring role as Jenna Kang on Zoe's extraordinary yeah on Zoe's playlist,
3: extraordinary playlist which is a
0: musical TV series for it was NBC. so much
3: fun yeah it was I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna hopefully talk to um, John Clarence Stewart on, oh
3: yes yeah,
0: on Thursday
3: oh he's wonderful and he's he's
0: a star and he's the sweetest person ever. This was a show where the main character daydreams in musicals. Is that basically the premise of that one?
3: It's it's not necessary. I guess daydreaming makes sense. Something happens to her like in the middle of some sort of MRI. I don't know the science behind it i think they kind of just glided over but somehow the, the
0: science behind it.
3: this there's no science but somehow
0: <laughs> the magic behind yeah it.
3: she gets to hear people's inner thoughts yeah in terms of music yes
0: yeah um and you had some songs you got to sing some songs on the show i
3: sing one i yeah. we had another song and then we ended up having to cut it which was really sad because it was a cute duet a sad duet with Mary Steenburgen.
0: Oh uh, I
3: know. We like rehearsed our hearts out. Uh, but the song that I sang was One Call Away by Charlie Puth.
0: Oh, very cool. Yes. And so when you're doing those songs, are you, are you, you're doing them on the physical set and then you're also doing the VO a- after the fact? How, or how does it work when you're doing music? I haven't ever done a musical thing that was filmed, whether it was a movie uh-huh. or a TV series. How does it how did you all do it?
3: We recorded it in the sound booth first and then they master it they they got to get it perfect because they yeah. we need to use the exact audio and we practice we do a lip sync rehearsal. So, you go in, we had a musical director, and they watch us to be like, and and always the answer is sing along with it, like just always sing along with it. So, you are. So,
0: it's not just a bunch of people just lip syncing in a room quietly, just the sound of lips (laughs) kind of mashing together.
3: Some people, uh, yeah, like Alex Newell, Alex always wanted to sing live because there's Alex has the voice of God. So, (laughs) Alex (laughs) wants to sing, you let Alex sing. But, but yeah, you practice it. And it's also because we're dancing. And so they can't have muddy vocals, like, oh, right. like, yeah. like laborious breathing. So you just, I, I remember thinking like, I'm just gonna sing it the day of, like, i got this, but like, we're not dancing the way you do on Broadway. Like we're specifically dancing four screen that needs to look cooler because you can't like hide anything and (laughs) and yeah so we do a lip sync rehearsal and then the day of they just play the music and you just keep doing it over and over and over
0: did you have to when did you have to sing in the audition process for that one
3: i they didn't ask me to like i just put a tape I just threw a tape together, and they didn't ask me to sing, but I did because I assumed she had to sing, or I wanted to be very clear that if I get the job, I want to sing. Yeah, like because then they had so they have so many people on it. If I didn't sing, then everyone in the world would just think I can't sing. Or like, oh no, <laughs> she did great actress, great storyline, but don't let her
0: moves well, but yeah. yeah.
3: And then I sang and then I did like a zoom call that this was right in peak pandemic. Like, mm. like everything was shut down. And I, I met Austin who is the creator mm. of the show and he had me sing, I guess I could say it cause it never made it. Uh, he had me sing if I could turn back time, you know, oh share. God,
0: That's a big song.
3: But it was great for me. I was like, great. It's an alto. Perfect. Okay. Like, great. Yeah. And, uh, and he, yeah he had me do it and that's like
0: them saying like uh sing climb every mountain it's like a that's a yeah heavy, that's a big song a heavy that's a big song big yeah song.
3: yeah yeah uh and and that was kind of it and and, and then i got it and nice th- there we go
0: hell yeah well so nowadays you're busier than ever you're working on t- 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 two tv shows congratulations on yes, that thank you one of them is the prestige drama perry mason for hbo um on Perry Mason, you play Marion Kang. Yes. Uh Marion is described as fresh out of secretarial school and is the new hire in the office. In addition to her meticulous organizational talents, Marion has a few tricks up uh, her sleeve that Perry and Della constant that keeps them on their feet. What does that mean? can you talk about this at all?
3: No, I'm like.
0: What does that mean? You uh, tricked that person.
3: I know. I'm trying because this to, has not
0: aired yet, right? This
3: has not aired yet. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to say it in a way that people that I won't get in trouble. Yeah. I don't, don't get in know. trouble. Uh So she's a smart cookie, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, she you know she speaks French oh that's great yeah she speaks a couple languages and so uh that helps a little bit in the so that's a surprise
0: that's That's a surprise i got it
3: i mean come on like they don't (laughs) know what to they're just like you're gonna already be surprised seeing this korean girl in the 1930s like where did she come from (laughs) there was a lot of research i had to put into finding like you know just someone
0: like, to look at for, yeah. for basis That's even things like yeah. hair
3: like like where did she live like i wanted to create mm. a little bit of a background story did uh, you and find just, did
0: you what did you, could you talk a little bit about what did you find on that
3: oh uh so i guess i could say she she speaks languages only because i've already said it and uh but One thing I found was there's something that they used to call Old Koreatown. It's not the Koreatown we know and love. And it's not even real. It wasn't a real like historical site necessarily. It was just kind of, you know, the last until the Korean War, the last like big boom of immigrants was kind of 1900, 1910, kind of when all that happened. And specifically old Koreatown is kind of closer towards like the Adams Jefferson area of Los Angeles. And it was interesting. I don't know why they called it old Koreatown necessarily, but I think it was just kind of like one pocket of Los Angeles that, uh, was the only area that immigrants could stay at. Like no one would rent to a certain Yiddish communities to Korean communities to Hispanic communities Mm. and black communities, Uh, which was kind of fun because not fun. But (laughs) I mean, I once I learned about that, it helped me also realize like it it kind of justified why my character knew a bunch of languages because she was around Hmm. all these immigrant communities. It's not like I needed to justify it, but I was like, well, a lot of the people at that time they they weren't the Asian people weren't necessarily wealthy they were all working class uh you know immigrants so where she she shouldn't have like Rosetta Stone she didn't have Duolingo like where does she know all these languages so Mm -hmm. I had to be a little bit creative but that kind of history helped a lot to like put that together do
0: you have, have you done a number of period pieces is this maybe one of the first that you've done this is
3: definitely the first one i've ever done uh i can't think i i mean i've you know done like shakespeare as a youth but uh no yeah i played queen agravain in a production of once upon a mattress if you consider that
0: sure period. absolutely yeah i'm just wondering it's like if your if your heritage includes identity that is, you know, it's like how much work the actor then ends up having to do in order to, you know, is this, did you ha- end up having discussions with the writing team about the, some of the stuff that you're talking about?
3: Yeah, uh, that was something we we talked about. And it kind of does take play in terms of the storyline of the show, in terms of like information, a young Asian girl would know versus information a white man like Perry Mason would know Mm -hmm. like what Mm -hmm. kind of news is he reading how does news affect someone like me versus someone like Mm -hmm. Perry um we have talked about it and we did we did discuss that even we even as something as simple as like our wardrobe a lot of the women at that time wore pantyhose that had like lining in the back and I hated it like at first it was just like a Actress being like, oh, can you imagine my OCD as I'm trying to line this up my leg? Like, it was just so infuriating. But some, something as simple as, like, talking to them and being like, actually, this is an expensive hose. Like, these mm. pantyhose are really expensive. And a lot of secretaries at that time who didn't have a lot of money, they would just, like, draw in. Like, yes, you see right. that, yeah. And I would right. say that, and they were like, okay, well, we never see your legs, so... When it comes up, <laughs> when it comes up, we'll say you drew it, <laughs> but, <I>
0: just, <laughs> but
3: like we had to have those discussions or say certain things like she wouldn't have this. She would only have one hat. She would only have one jacket because she just doesn't have a lot of money. She doesn't come from a lot of money. Uh, we did a lot of talking about that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, So then and then you're also appearing in an upcoming Hulu comedy series called Unprisoned, Unprisoned starring Kerry Washington and Delroy Lindo. My yes. gosh, very it's exciting. Wonderful. And the production company for this series is the Onyx Collective, which is yes. an exciting Disney company that seeks to create content for creators of color for underrepresented audiences um and this is a half hour comedy which is described as revolving around a messy but perfectionist relationship therapist and a single mom played by Kerry Washington whose life is turned right side up when her dad Delroy Lindo gets out of prison and moves in with her and her teenage son um can is there anything you can share about this series without
2: yes
3: I, I could tell you I, I definitely had to clear this with my agent. He said, "Yeah, you could talk about it." I was like, "Okay, <laughs> well, well, well." Uh, so yeah, uh, the show is is based off of Tracy McMillan. It's her actual life, but you know, uh, fictionalized mm-hmm. and and Carrie Washington. And I play Carrie's sister. I play her. It, we were both in the foster care system, and so yeah. yeah, we both. Uh, I'm. I am based off of Tracy's actual sister in her real life. And um, wow. so, yeah, it's wild. I never thought in my life I would get to say the words. I, I'm playing Carrie Washington's sister.
0: <laughs> what a beautiful part of the story, though. Did you, yeah. because and then you're also, you're basing your performance off of a real person.
3: Yeah, I mean, for the most part, Tracy has been really wonderful about putting very true, big truths of her life into the show but letting it live on its own and i think Mm. that's uh there's something really freeing about that Uh, she's never like watched us go oh makes me feel like my sister like i think she there's probably something she loves about us breathing our own like life and air into it Mm. uh And because I think that's the way she wants it. There's something really wonderful about stories that come from such a personal place, but the more you breathe in um, other specificities, it becomes like, oh yeah, family, relationships, sisterhood, it's universal. Like it really is. And and so Mm, she's never been like, play it like my sister, but we have like discussed you know, what are the intricacies of something complicated as two girls who were foster
0: children mm-hmm. yeah. growing
3: up together? Um, and, you know, this isn't a spoiler, but we grew up together, but she ended up kind of going back to her father. So, you know, we also got split up again. But mm. I, I I I think it, it it's interesting. She's never, ever made me feel married to it, but we've had conversations about, You know why is this character so so free spirited versus like versus like Carrie who's struggling more with um, with just like the difficult parts of what what a foster kid is going through
0: and and would that be sort of reconnecting with a birth parent then is it that part is that part of the story there with the Delroy Lindo character yeah
3: yeah yeah so so Delroy plays Carrie's birth parent so yes so that's that's all. Its own, and but also I think that Tracy, she does this so beautifully to talk about very difficult subjects like mm. foster children and you know reconnecting with a father that's been in jail your whole life and stuff. All of these are heavy things, but everything. But it's is, a com- but it is a, it's comedy. a comedy. It's yeah. very light, and I, and I think that's and I think she she's never asked me to do anything to be like I need you to make it more like my family. I think she i think bringing a freshness to it keeps it uh, a fresh take on it I, I should say um keeps it fresh keeps it light helps mm-hmm. us helps us be uh light and and funny
0: about it that sounds wonderful when is do you have do you know when that is going to debut
3: i have no idea <laughs> we just oh, you're finished. in the middle oh you just finished. we just finished i i completed perry mason and unprisoned in the same week
0: I know because we were talking at the time we were emailing a little back and forth. Yeah, you were in the in the thick of it, and are you then? Does that mean that you're you have a little bit of time now? You're going to get a little break? Or are you oh, going yeah, to? Yeah, I'm
3: taking a time? little bit of a break. Yeah, nice. I've been working Paramaze, and we shot that for a long time, a long, long time. Really? We started showing that in December, and then I hopped on God, to. Yeah. I know we had. I mean, COVID. their things got slow down hbo has
0: was there a bunch of start start and stop going on we had a couple
3: Mm -hmm, we had a couple little breaks um but also like uh hbo kind of takes their time not the way yeah everyone else like has a time yeah historically they
0: do yeah Yeah, like remember when the sopranos like two years would go by and yeah, they put out like, Westworld too, which we yeah, talked about. It was just like that just time. finally came out with it. There was a whole article that was like, are you watching Westworld? And are you confused by everything? Here's what <laughs> happened two years ago yeah. in the previous season. Um, well, wonderful. And uh, we'll have to stand by and, and wait, this, this of course, this interview will go out in the year uh, 2030. So by this time, course, that show will course. be, can, both shows will be over. But um, finally, where can where can people find you online?
3: You could find me at the J-E-E-S-P-O-T, also known as at the G-Spot. Okay. Yes. I had to. I had to. It's so there. Like, one of my biggest (laughs) regrets in life is that my email address isn't J-E-E-mail at gmail.com. Yeah, Yeah, It's the biggest regret in my life. And then I, I just had to. It's so cheeky. I remember,
0: Um, uh, so at the G spot on both of your Instagram and your Twitter as well. Are you doing TikTok and do you do TikTok stuff? You know,
3: sometimes I try and then sometimes I'm too old for it. (laughs) I I just,
0: no one wants me to do it. The truth is it's for people of all ages, but it's like, but I think like if you're busy, which I'm not that busy. I should be doing a TikTok. But if you're busy, it's like maybe not necessary. I think that um, it was funny because I remember Donald Glover talked once about handles Uh and his he was going by Don he'd said this on Conan, I think he was going by Don Glover and then pretty quickly realized that it just looked like Dong lover.
3: (laughs) Oh, that is classic.
0: Um, Well, gee, this has been lovely. Um, So lovely. This is really nice to connect with you. Thank you so much for doing it. Um, Of course, of
3: course. I had a blast.
0: It's always fun to chat with someone who has a deep love and reverence for the musical theater. And uh, I'm excited for all your upcoming projects. Congratulations again. Thank you so much. And I wish you continued success and safety and good health. Thanks, G. Thank you so much. If you listened all the way to the end of this episode, thank you. Hey, since you stuck around with us, why not go ahead and give us a subscribe? Or perhaps a sweet, sweet five-star rating. A nice comment, and we'll return the favor by bringing you even more quality conversation in the future. You can check out our Patreon and our swag for more ways to support the pod. You can find both in our Instagram handle at... Things are going great for me. Stay tuned because we've got five more incredible episodes premiering every Wednesday, including interviews with Claiborne Elder, Beth Risegraff, Susie Abramite, Gil McKinney, Sufi Bradshaw, Remy Dunn, and Michael Grant Terry, to name more than a few. Our sound engineer is Christopher Frontiero, and our series composer is Cormac Bluestone. Our graphics editors are Sierra Hauser and Leon Simone. All right, for you truly thorough listeners, here's a secret. It's raining today in L.A., and it looks like it's going to rain tomorrow. I love it when it rains in L.A. I think because I don't feel bad staying inside. When the sun is shining and it's always shining in L.A., you get this kind of anxiety about being a homebody. So I'm enjoying these rainy days. I might make myself a cup of tea, turn on last week's episode of 60 Minutes, and live my best life. (laughs) See you next time.